Hello, it's 27th of October 2019 and this is episode 119 of Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis and commentary with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. And how has your week in Star Wars been, Rachel? It feels like a haze because... (laughs) Yeah, the last time we recorded was on Tuesday when the trailer came out. Sorry, I know I sound like I've forgotten everything already, but <laughs> I, I've also been sick. So um, it's a balance between stalls and recovering from my dreadful illness known as the cold. Um, but yeah, it's obviously been a huge stalls week because of the trailer, which we are going to break down in this episode. So you have that to look forward to. Um, and yeah, it was just that mad rush to get tickets mainly. Um, I'm really happy with the tickets I got. Um, I got a ticket to the marathon, um, which is just of the sequel trilogy, to be clear, because, yeah, in the UK, we're not doing a whole saga marathon because <laughs> that that would just kill me. I know they're doing that in America, so major respect if you're prepared to do that and can get through it. That's amazing, but definitely not for me. Um, yeah, and I'm also going to see it at the flagship Odeon in Leicester Square in London. So that'll be really cool. Um did you get the tickets you wanted, Kirsty? Yes, I did. I got um, opening night tickets at my favourite cinema. So I'm excited about that. But yeah, like you, I am doing a marathon, to be fair, but I'm doing it at home in my own time. That's nice. <laughs> I don't, yeah, it's just not realistic to get to a cinema for that. But um, I'm kind of taking it slowly. So I've done A New Hope, Empire, and then I watched The Phantom Menace a few days ago. Oh, amazing. Um, cool. Yeah. So I'm doing like the prequels now. It's kind of like a machete order sort of thing. But I think I'm going to do um, Solo and Rogue One after Revenge of the Sith before going back to Jedi. Okay, nice. So doing those sort of chronological. Kind of. I wasn't sure how to fit them in. Rogue One and Solo are kind of awkward, aren't they? Because if you wanted to do it thematically, like, would you do Rogue One before A New Hope? But then that yeah. would be really weird as like your first movie. Yeah, that that just doesn't work in my opinion. Your enjoyment of Rogue One depends on your familiarity with the other movies. Yeah, and it's sort of a moot point because obviously I've seen them all. But Yeah, sure. Yeah, they, there's just not an easy answer for where to fit them in. Yeah, no, it's not a tricky, it's not an easy decision that you view in order. Although I should definitely view the other films as well before the sequel trilogy. I think my question to myself is whether I can even get through a sequel trilogy marathon in the cinema. Because I'm kind of in two minds about whether I'll chicken out and maybe just watch The Force Awakens, possibly get to The Last Jedi, and then go home and sleep, and then catch a really early morning screening of The Rise of Skywalker. Oh, okay. Just because I'm really not sure I'm going to be conscious enough to take in the movie. And it's going to be such an overwhelming experience to begin with, you know, watching that for the first time, the final movie in the saga. And I'm still not sold on the idea that I want to watch it sleep deprived. I'll still be happy I brought the ticket to the marathon. So it'll be an opportunity to at the very least see The Force Awakens in the cinema again. Mm -hmm. Which I'm really excited about. But yeah, I just gonna have to see. I kind of feel like adrenaline might carry me through with it. You know, because I'll be so excited to watch the movie. They'll be like, you can do this, you can do this. Are you taking a day off work or something? Oh yeah, I'm taking the Thursday and Friday off work. Oh, okay, nice. So you can do it. That's yeah. just whether you want to. 
Yeah. God, can you imagine if I got out of the cinema at like 3 a.m. after watching The Rise of Skywalker and then had to wake up at 7 to go to work? It's like, I would just be a complete walking disaster. Yeah. I don't know how much of that last movie you'd be able to take in, so. Yeah. And I also feel like I'd be completely useless to my place of work, which is precisely why I took the time off work, because... I was like, I'm sorry, but I'm just going to be 100% Star Wars all day <laughs> that day. So, yeah, I'm just no good to you. And then you'd get home and have to record our movie reaction podcast. <laughs> and you'd be yeah. like, wait, what? Exactly. You see, I have my priorities straight. I know what the important things are. <laughs> so, it's all good. Yeah, and obviously I know that you came back for the trailer reaction that we did on Tuesday, Kirsty. Mm-hmm. But this is going to be like the first proper episode with news and a spotlight and everything that you've done since, gosh, like August, I guess, or maybe even July. I think July. Yeah, it's been a while. I, I did D23 stuff as well, right? But that was another kind of focused episode just on that. Yeah, that was like a reaction because like, oh my God, Doc Ray. <laughs> yeah, I missed so much stuff that, you know, I've missed all of the resistance. I've obviously been watching it on my own time, but I had like... I was away for the trailer and everything and all the talk about that. Um, a lot of the Mandalorian stuff that's been coming out, like there's there's so much going on. Yeah, there has been a busy few months, as you'd expect. I think what we can do next time we record is perhaps touch wood if there's nothing else as seismic as the trailer has been. Um, we can like have a bit more of a chill catch up session where we can like go over the episodes of Resistance and some of the stuff that's published and all that kind of thing because yeah I'd love to get your takes on things mm-hmm. yeah I confession I haven't even read any of the Galaxy's Edge tie-in books yet like I have them they're sat right there uh Galax- what are they called Black Spire and Crash of Fate yeah um I did manage to read Spark of the Resistance okay cool would you recommend it so I haven't got around to it yet yeah I actually enjoyed that one okay good and I feel like that should tie in well to the Resistance Reborn book that's coming out soon. Oh god, yeah. I I keep on forgetting that. It's going to be out really soon now as well. So yeah, I need to put that at the forefront of my thoughts. Yeah, I to be honest, I think I'm going to prioritise that over the Galaxy's Edge ones because yeah. it ties into the, the movie that's coming up. So, Of course, yeah. Right, let's move into the news section. So the first thing that you want to discuss is that we have some new details about the Rise of Kylo Ren comic books. So basically we've had some information on the first issue of this series for a while. And yeah, it's kind of like a vague description, but I'll read it out anyway, just because, yeah, it helps with scene setting. And this is going to be a mini series that spans from December... 2019 to early 2020 yeah which is going to be a four issue comic book series publishing from december 2019 so coming out both before and after the rise of skywalker basically and yeah this is the description for the first issue so with ben solo's fall comes kylo ren's rise Young Ben Solo is legendary Jedi Luke Skywalker's most promising pupil. As the son of Rebel Alliance heroes Leia Organa and Han Solo, as well as Luke's own nephew, Ben has the potential to be a great force for light in the galaxy, but the Skywalker family legacy casts a long shadow. The currents of the dark side run deep, and Darth Vader's blood runs in Ben's veins. Voices call from both his past and his future, telling him who he must be. He will shatter, he will be reforged. His destiny will be revealed. Snoke awaits. 
the Knights of Ren await. Ben Solo's path to his true self begins here. So that's interesting, but it doesn't tell us much. We actually get stuff that's a bit more concrete about issue two. Um, so would you like to read out the bullet points that we have on that, Kirsty? Sure. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, this first description does kind of sound more like an overall synopsis for the series rather than just the first issue, do you think? Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, but I do think it's interesting that they're talking about voices from the past and future. Because it's like, well, yeah. do you mean, is it Darth Vader from the past? And then for the future, is that just like Snoke whispering to him? Or could we get a glimpse of Rey since she had visions of Ben too? Oh my god, I would love that. I would <laughs> <Same>. die. <laughs> so who knows? Give me that good, good stuff. <laughs> All right, so issue two. With the new Jedi school in ruins and fellow students hot on his trail for the murder of their master, Ben Solo flees to the only friend he has left in the galaxy, a man named Snoke. But Snoke has plans for Ben, and ideas about the Force that are as dangerous as they are intriguing for the troubled young Jedi. If Ben wishes to be truly free, the answers might lie with the dark side and with the Knights of Ren. But it won't be the first time he's tangled with the Knights. In the past, Jedi Master Luke Skywalker journeys to the unknown regions and brings young Ben along for the mission. Can even Luke Skywalker stand against the fabled Knights of Ren? Yeah, so that's a lot. And that yeah. kind of sent shockwaves through the fandom, you could say. It did, because it challenges what people thought they'd been told you know, through The Last Jedi, and even The Force Awakens with Han talking about it, um, what exactly went down at the temple. Yeah, and it proves that Ben Solo literally did nothing wrong. <laughs> Which is maddening a few people. <laughs> yeah, because that was sort of like an ironic like joke, I guess. Like I'm probably not I mean, it still that. is. Obviously, he's done things wrong, but <laughs> he's baby. It's got a little bit more support now. <laughs> and it's like, well, up to a certain point in his life, perhaps he really hadn't done anything wrong. Um, because yeah, I think most people were pretty much at the point where, okay, it looks like he did kill at least some of his fellow students. We can accept well, that. Whereas this kind of throws that into doubt a bit. There was all this material that said he had, like they they were using the word slaughter. Obviously, he had the nickname Jedi Killer. Yeah. Um, although I don't know if that's an official thing or if that's like a concept art thing that kind of just made its way into fanon. I don't know, like there's this idea that Luke was saying to Rey, right, so this is her perception of what happened as well, he he slaughtered some students and took the rest with, with him. Yeah. But that's not what happened according to this synopsis. Yeah. And we're being led to believe that this is very much like a definitive account of what actually happened. So this isn't like a Legends of Luke Skywalker situation where it's all like third hand distorted information. This is meant to be what actually happened with the fall of Luke's temple and the fall of Ben Solo slash the rise of Kylo Ren. Hmm. So yeah, it's so fascinating to be getting this story. Yeah, and there's also a really great cover for this issue, which we should definitely mention, which relates to the last bullet point, which is about in the past, Luke and young Ben like went to face the Knights of Ren. And yeah, it looks like, I don't know, early adolescent Ben, maybe like 14, 15, something like that, along with a pretty badass looking middle-aged Luke Skywalker. And they are indeed battling the Knights of Ren. And it's very intriguing that the dude at the back, the Knight of Ren at the back, is the only one for Sabre. The others all have these like 
I don't even know how to describe them. How would you describe their weapons? Uh, <laughs> like butchering implements. Almost. Yes, perfect. Excellent. I love it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's gruesome. Yeah, so I presume the chap with the red lightsaber at the back is the leader of the Knights of Ren. That's the theory, yeah. Yeah, so I doubt he comes to a good fate, basically. Because, well... Yeah. The Knights of Ren obviously have a new leader at the <laughs> point of the sequel trilogy, so... Mm. Okay, so this just raises so many questions. So we we did already know that the Knights of Ren existed pre-Ben Solo, right? Because yeah. I think Adam said that in interviews. It was just kind of like a consensus thing. that The Knights of Ren were already a thing. And we already knew that Snoke had had existing pupils before Ben as well. Ben's not yes. the first. So, okay, we're thinking that maybe this guy is Snoke's current apprentice. Ben kills him and then later takes up the mantle as the master of the Knights of Ren. Um, but I think there was this big theory that i do think the last jedi leaned into and made people think this simply because the knights weren't mentioned in that movie yeah if if ben left with a a handful of students were they then the knights of ren this says no that they they were already a thing yeah and then this whole idea of the other students thinking that ben killed luke did ben also think that he'd accidentally killed luke when he brought that roof down yeah and then him either not being given the chance to explain himself or them straight up just not believing him. At this point, had those other students also learned that he was the grandson of Darth Vader? Was that a reason that they didn't trust him? Yeah. I'm it's so, just so, so juicy <laughs> to see it play out. And yeah, it raises yeah. like practical questions for me. So presumably Luke is buried underneath all that rubble of the heart. Yeah, and they can't sense him. All these force sensitives, you know. And I just have these, like, comedic images in my head where he's, like, calling out and saying, like, help me, <laughs> pupils, come and rescue me, please. Yeah, and then he gets out from under the rubble and everyone's gone and the temple's burning and he's like, well, guess Ben killed them. <laughs> and you you might well be right in that, which, and in a way it's so sad and it just further underlines how this awful sequence of events is just this tragic series of misunderstandings i know it is it's it is tragedy and it's like how much of this was orchestrated by snoke how much was orchestrated by palpatine now we know that he's back in the picture yeah was he a factor in all of this um yeah and i i did say this and someone reminded me it was charlotte sky talkers actually we were talking about it after this this news came out it reminded me of after the last jedi came out and we were kind of talking about Luke and Ben's confrontation on Cray, I kept saying, this doesn't sit right with me. It doesn't feel like it can be their last interaction. We need more between Ben and Luke in The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. This only adds to that because we need to know what did Luke know? What was he kind of... Because we know he was concealing stuff from Ray, and he wasn't ready to admit it to himself and then it all kind of came out. But even in that last flashback, that was not the truth. It might have been Luke's truth, but did he know this? Yeah. Does he still think that Ben is responsible for all of this? And how is this then going to play into the movies if it's being covered in the comics? And that's kind of this awkward thing for me because this stuff is so important to understanding Ben Solo's story as a whole and how much he's really culpable for and like what what you then expect as a viewer in terms of his potential redemption and how they explain away all this stuff versus what he needs to atone for. 
Yeah. Is this stuff going to be referenced at all in The Rise of Skywalker? Because this comic, issue two, comes out after the movie. Right. So <laughs> does it play in at all? Or is it like being told here because they don't have time for it? Yeah. I suspect there's definitely a big element of the fact, look, we don't have time to go into this story in the movie. But I really hope at the very least some of this stuff is referenced. It kind of matters. Cause... Yeah, it does seem pretty critical, doesn't it? Because if you've set up this perception in the movies, you then need to address it if you're actually challenging it and going a different way. It can't oh, yeah. You can't set it up in one medium and then be like, in this... Not to say comics are unimportant, but like, you know, it's going to have a far smaller audience. So if people actually want to know the backstory of Ben and Luke, uh, you can say to them, oh, yeah, there is this comic series if you want to read that, but reality... It, it's going to be mostly people watching the movies, right? So, I don't know. I'm curious to see how this all plays out. Yeah, same. And, yeah, if we're getting stuff this juicy in the solicit for issue two, it's like, wow, you're going to be revealing the end to The Rise of Skywalker and the solicits for issue three when they come out <laughs> in, like, November. <laughs> well, yeah, because is this solicit official information at this point or was it kind of leaked? It is official information, as far as I understand. It's just a preview that's sent out to, um, I think, shops and like retailers, basically, so they can put up listings for the comic to prepare selling it, essentially. Okay, because I saw Charles Saul sharing the art on Twitter, but I didn't see him acknowledging the solicit. Right. Yeah. So, and this is huge information. So. Yeah. No, I'm surprised, to be honest. I thought they might have found a way of keeping the actual plot developments a bit more under wraps than this, but mm. apparently not. So, yeah, I, I'll be keeping a close eye on the other solicitors that come out, to be honest, because, yeah, this was juicy. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, and I'll tell you my crack theory for now. Okay. Um, Which is that in that incident in the past with Luke and Ben facing the Knights of Ren when Ben was like this itty bitty adolescent, I like this idea, and this is just an idea that might not have any relation to the truth. I like the idea of Ben sort of like getting a lucky strike and killing the leader at that point when he's still this young boy. And then from that point on, Knights of Ren are like, well, he's our new leader. We desperately need him to be our new leader. <laughs> and so they're just like sat around twiddling their thumbs for like a decade. <laughs> while they're waiting for this like 13 year old to actually take up the mantle of leader this is the thing like bloodline is set when ben solo is like 23 right and the yeah. the whole thing is like throughout that story leia's trying to get in touch with luke and ben but she can't so maybe they're off in the unknown regions again but yeah. there is this she, she's not too surprised by it it's like this expectation that they're always traveling around and doing cool shit but she is a bit like oh i kind of wish especially as everything starts to go down and she sends that hollow off to to Ben to try and explain to him why she kept things secret from him about Vader. We don't know if he ever received it. Um, maybe that'll come up in one of these issues, actually. Oh yeah, that would be fascinating. But yeah, there's just this. There is this sense of like miscommunication and how much does Leia know? Because if if Luke isn't aware of what happened fully, then Leia can't be aware. So this just this overwhelming sense of like unfinished business between all of these characters that everything needs to be laid out and kind of accepted for what it is by the end of The Rise of Skywalker. But is that even possible? Because yeah. Han died not knowing any of this stuff. 
Yeah. You know? True. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, like in an ideal world, I'd really love for there to somehow be an aspect of the Rise of Skywalker that is about Ben finding that reconciliation slash peace with Luke and Leia, because he doesn't have that in The Last Jedi at all. Like, he has no interaction with his mother besides that moment when they're, like, communing through their minds as he's decided not to attack her from his tie. But then she's blown up anyway basically um and with luke ends on that note of see you around kid which definitely Mm. suggests unfinished business still so yeah i really want there to be that look we love you we accept you you're you're our family and you're ben solo in that your core you Mm. know something like that i i just i want it yeah and of course the idea of snoke being ben's only friend is horrible it's so sad, isn't it? Because this means that it didn't occur to him to go to Han and Leia. Yeah. Like, what at this point, does he feel like they wouldn't understand? Does he already feel rejected by them because they sent him to Luke in the first place? Mm. I know we got elements of that, but rejected to the point where he didn't think that they would believe him? Yeah. Or at this point, is he like, oh, I've killed Uncle Luke, there's no way they could accept me now, I've got to go dark side. Like, that's, I don't have a choice now. That seems very plausible to me for an explanation for his actions. Yeah, it really does suggest that insidious influence that Snoke's had on his life, presumably, like, feeding him all these lies and all these distortions of what's happening to him. Because, yeah, yeah, he's clearly the only person Ben thinks he can trust, which is very sad. Yeah, and of course, all of this only reinforces the importance of Rey and Kylo's relationship in the movies in terms of them both feeling completely alone. Yeah. And finally having a peer that they feel they can connect with. Yeah. Which, of course, we're going to see play out further in The Rise of Skywalker based on this trailer and based on things that Daisy said in interviews. So, Yeah, exactly. What's going to happen to these lonely people? <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. So let's move on to the next news item, which is that Ewan McGregor has shed some light on his upcoming Obi-Wan series. The main quote I found, Kirsty, was this one, but let me know if I'm missing anything and we can go and find it. So I have Ewan speaking to the Men's Journal and he just gives some insight into where Obi-Wan's going to be basically in the series. None of it's groundbreaking, but it's just the first time he's really talked about the setting and stuff of the show. This interview was taking place at D23 before he came out with the announcement. So, of course, he is being pretty vague. Like, this is all stuff that you could kind of infer from his age and how things will fit into the timeline. So, yeah. So, yeah. Um, Ewan said, The Jedi Order was falling apart. It'll be interesting to take a character we know in a way and show him. Well, his arc will be quite interesting, I think dealing with the fact that all the Jedi were slaughtered with the end of episode 3. It's quite something to get over. Um, So yeah, understatement, Ewan. Um, (laughs) And yeah, I think he said some other comments, like he was apparently keeping the series secret for a couple of years, which is an impressive feat. It doesn't surprise me, because I feel like rumours about this thing have been going for a couple of years. Yeah, I think he said four years that he'd had to lie to fans about it. (laughs) Wow, that's quite a lot of lies. Yeah, bless him. (laughs) Oh my god and um yeah was there anything else that stood out to you in the interview that we should bring up uh yeah apparently he hasn't watched the prequels since they were 
being released. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, and he said he's going to watch them again to prepare for this, right? Yeah, there was this awkward thing. Ugh, I know that journalists do this all the time, but it's especially awkward to see in something that's essentially promoting this new prequel spin-off series. But like, of course, they have to keep trashing the prequels, right? Yeah. So um, because Ewan hasn't seen them since then, he doesn't really remember the discourse around them and how fans received them. And he said he thinks people didn't like them because they were too political. And right. um, basically the... The ed, like the writer kind of alludes to the fact that there there was quite a deal more as to why people didn't like them, and then he makes a Jar Jar reference, and you know the usual. Um, I don't know yeah. if he said all this to you and himself, or just kind of includes in the article. Um, the other thing was that because, as he says here, the character will be older. Like he's dealing with the fact that it's post Jedi Order. Um, his portrayal, he wants it to be closer to Alec Guinness. Yes, which makes complete sense. It's got to be sort of like a transition, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, like, it's all pretty much what you'd expect you and McGregor to be saying about an Obi-Wan series, to be honest. But I do like the implication that we are going to see this heavy em- emphasis on Obi-Wan dealing with that tragedy of his whole order being wiped out. Because I do think that's perhaps the most interesting story to tell about him rediscovering that sense of purpose, like having gone from having this like very rigid, like preordained structure to his life in the Jedi Order, and then having all of that gone and taken away, and suddenly having to trust a much more spiritual way of experiencing the Force and being a Jedi, basically. So yeah, I hope they really lean into that side of it. Yeah. I'm excited for this series. Obviously, we still know so little, but just the premise of it, and because the rumours were going on for so long, as Ewan kind of alludes to, we were talking about it a lot in terms of the overall feel that the series could have, and I feel it could be really powerful, and Ewan's a great actor. Yes. I'm, I maintain that he's the strongest element of the prequels, acting-wise, so... Yeah, no agreed. Oh, I think another thing he said was that there'll be six episodes, and they'll be an hour long each. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy, isn't it? When you think that that's basically like another prequel trilogy. Exactly. In terms of the like amount of time. Yeah. And in terms of screen time for Obi-Wan specifically, that's a lot more than another prequel trilogy. So it will be so focused on him. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's very exciting. It'll be interesting to see how much they incorporate elements from the Clone Wars as well into a series like this. Like if there will be references to Satine or anything like that. Oh yeah, maybe. I mean, it's hard to say while we don't know any of the other characters that could be part of it, because it's like, is he leaving Tatooine at all? Is it just, is it going to be all new characters because he's there now and has to kind of make connections in that environment? Um, Are we going to get glimpses of young Luke? Like, there's so much, they could go in all these different directions. So yeah, yeah, it's hard to say right now whether someone like Satine would come up because he might be thinking privately of her. But if no one else around him is aware of her existence, then <laughs> she's not going to like come up in conversation. <laughs> so, Obi-Wan, I imagine you're missing the sateen. Oh. <laughs> Don't bring that up. It hurts too much. Okay, cool. And then we'll get to our final piece of news, which is that we have a little bit where Kelly Marie Tran is talking about the rise of Skywalker and her role in it. So this is via Digital Spy. Would you like to read out what Kelly's saying, Kirsty? 
Yeah, she says, before, Rose was a new character who was in maintenance and she was not a huge part of the Resistance. But now she's in the Resistance in a big way and it's very cool. This is not a KMT quote, it's just the article. Um, the final trailer gave us a brief glimpse of Rose with Dominic Monaghan's new character and the returning Billy Lord as Lieutenant Connix. And expect to see Rose in action in The Rise of Skywalker as Tran spoke about the training she and her fellow stars had to go through. I had to learn everything that had to do with being in a war, like holding a gun. I've never held a gun before. Things like that, that you don't even think about when you're watching this movie. We're all real people living real lives, she said. We don't shoot arrows off of horses normally, so we have to learn every little thing. There's so much detail and so much work that goes into everything. Yeah, no, that's a really great quote from Kelly. And it's really nice to hear her speak in such positive tones about her part in the movie specifically so for like around the time of celebration she wasn't being asked about rose she's always been asked about the other characters which was awkward to say the least i think yeah i mean i can sympathize with journalists at that point to an extent because they hadn't really been given anything to go on but you could still ask her like so what's up with rose but yeah now she's able to say because presumably she's aware that the information about her being a commander has come out. So, yes. yeah, it's she's not just Rose in maintenance. She's Commander Rose Tico. Um, so that has implications for her story. I've seen um, Digital Spy posted it on Twitter with this quote that she's in the resist. She's in in a big way, and it kind of led people to believe that it means that she has a big part in the movie, which is not what she's saying. She's saying that in universe, her position is important. But yeah. doesn't necessarily translate into lots of screen time. Yes. So. No, which is 100% true. So I think people need to perhaps scale back expectations a bit because, yeah, it's not saying like Rose is this huge element of the movie. I am glad to see her having a position of prominence in the Resistance. I find that oh, yeah. encouraging. And I hope she, at the very least, gets some really cool standout moments. I am encouraged to hear that she seems to have been trained to participate in some of the action scenes and the battle scenes because I think this is the first time we've had the suggestion that she's participating in those yeah I mean she did have stuff like that for The Last Jedi as well right she was in that really cool behind the scenes footage and then obviously we got her um, on the Star Destroyer with Finn yes Um, but holding a gun yeah that seems that seems new I'm guessing that when she talks about the arrows and the horses she's not talking about Rose she's talking about someone like Janna Right, yeah. Although I'd love Rose to be doing that. Me too, but <laughs> we don't have an indication of that at the moment. It seems like it's Finn and Jana on those. Yeah, no, you're probably right. So I might need to scale back my expectations in that regard. Well, who knows? I mean, you could be surprised. Hope springs eternal. <laughs> yeah, the scene that I really, really want and hope is in the movie is the scene we saw the photograph from. Yes. Rose and Ray talking. Same. I want that scene more than anything. <laughs> It's like, I don't care what they're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) When they show us stuff like that, I'm always worried that it's just like a behind the scenes thing. Yeah. Or yeah, like you say, like a scene that could end up being cut. But yeah, to have those interactions between Ray and Rose would be everything. Yeah. Like it did strike me as very much an acted scene. So I remember Rose's expression being quite serious and like, oh, wow, this is some deep shit you're talking to me about. I just always think there's the danger with scenes like that that seem like smaller in scope that they could just be cut. Yeah, exactly. 
So, yeah, I'm keeping my fingers crossed, but I won't be surprised if it's not in the final movie, basically. Mm. So we will see. So I'm not going to take a still image, here's a promise. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want my heart to hurt like that. That's fair. So right now, let's move into the meat of the episode, if you will, which is a spotlight discussion on the trailer for The Rise of Skywalker. So before we go into the frame-by-frame proper breakdown thing that we're going to do, I thought we could just briefly talk about where our feelings are at with the trailer, because obviously last time we talked about it, we'd both just watched it for the first time. So yeah, how are you feeling now? We're a few days away from it and you've had time to properly absorb it and watch it 50 times. (laughs) Um, Essentially the same, but um, it has grown on me. Cool. Um, I I still feel essentially that, um, you know, it's different in tone to The Last Jedi, as you would expect, but in terms of there not being like a standout critical moment that challenges people's perceptions. I could be wrong. Maybe there are people out there that do feel like this trailer really goes against their sense of what this movie was going to be. Yeah. It doesn't for me, um, but I'm aware that there are people who read the story differently. Um, so who knows? But for me, um, I do feel like it's kind of settled in my mind a bit more and I'm like, appreciating the music and the overall tone of optimism, which is pretty yeah. important in terms of this being the final trailer for the final Skywalker saga movie. Um, that seems pretty important. So, Yeah, no, agreed. And I've also been thinking about the purpose that each movie in a trilogy is meant to serve because the second movie in a trilogy is always meant to be that disruptor, basically. Right. That's meant to be the one that comes in and changes the paradigm and mixes everything up, basically, which Empire Strikes Back obviously did with the Vader reveal, I am your father, and then Last Jedi like did in various ways but specifically with the Snoke death and with that twist on the Rey and Kylo relationship from like more adversarial to much more complicated and now obviously the purpose of this final film like which I think is what this trailer is telling us is to wrap all those elements up so that's what this trailer is doing it's reminding us of where the dynamics are and what all the aspects in the mix are and yeah yeah as a side note I think that's what I personally find quite frustrating about a lot of the discussions surrounding the sequel trilogy and the differences between J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson kind of the painting of Ryan Johnson as this as you say like disruptor and this idea that he was going against the things that J.J. set up in The Force Awakens when actually that's just kind of how a third act structure plays out within most storytelling yeah Uh, so you'd expect the second of of a trilogy to not subvert because i don't think that the movie was actually subversive but i get what people are saying when it's like oh that wasn't what i expected to happen and now we need jj abrams to come in and fix everything it's like well do you mean fix as in the quality of the story or like in universe fixing certain elements so that there's a satisfying resolution because it's natural to feel that way at the end of the last jedi and wonder how things can go from here and how our heroes could defeat everyone with (laughs) so little resources and how Rey is going to find happiness when everything seems like it's gone wrong between her and Kylo and how she doesn't seem to fit in with the resistance and all that. She hasn't found her belonging, but that's how it's supposed to be at the end of the second movie. Yeah. So I just hope that that's like acknowledged 
and it's not like hooray jj abrams came back and fixed everything because that's what the third movie is supposed to do and that's not a reflection on who he and ryan are even as artists or as people because that's just that's just storytelling (laughs) yeah i feel like jj abrams and chris terrio have already made comments to that effect when talking to the press about the movie and about what Ryan did specifically and actually even being grateful to Ryan for some of the developments and how he moved the story forward because I'm sure they're acutely aware of everything you've just said and they're probably rolling their eyes at a lot of the criticism that implies they'd be coming in at this stage and be like oh my god what did ryan do oh no it's a disaster you know which obviously isn't the case um because yeah it's just basic storytelling principles essentially and all of these people telling these stories are aware of those principles and are comfortable with them so yeah i think they know what they're doing basically and oh i do too i just think it's interesting when you're actually living through real time the production and release of these movies because obviously we weren't around for the original trilogy the prequels i do remember seeing in cinemas but i was not invested in fandom or even had a larger sense of like the importance of star wars for me it was they were just movies to me and i liked them but i wasn't like analyzing everything and you know i was a teenager um but yeah it's interesting because you do feel like this anxiety in the fandom but it is like people are living through these movies and like oh, how is everything going to be restored, you know? Yeah. Where it's like, oh, we can all just sit back and relax and <laughs> there is going to be a third act to the story. It's okay. Yeah, exactly. People forget that they're kind of actually meant to be feeling this anxiety about right. where the characters are at and stuff. That's and what like... I'm getting at. It's like we're so invested that it's like we're almost in the story ourselves. Yeah. It's an interesting time, basically, <laughs> to be alive as a Star Wars fan in the midst of this sort of story. And yeah, it's something you can't really replicate, I think, unless you were living it at the time. So it's quite a special thing. That's the thing. I'm wondering how different it would be to come to these in a few years as a fan who hadn't seen them, who hadn't been paying attention at the time, and just watch three movies over the course of like a few days. Yeah. Would you feel anywhere near that level of, oh my God, what's going to happen? Because you just put the new Blu-ray in and find out, (laughs) you know? Yeah, exactly. And... I imagine that with this trilogy, like with the older trilogies, is there's going to be aspects of the story bleeding into the popular consciousness where the critical developments and how the story resolves, it's just everyone will know. So it's like there's people in like uncontacted regions of like rainforest and stuff who probably know that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father, even if they haven't seen Star Wars. Right. Which, yeah, it's obviously hyperbolic of me, but you know what I mean in the sense <laughs> no, yeah, that the story sure. is just known. Yeah, I, I'm going to find it really interesting to see if the assessment of Ryan Johnson as both an artist, as a Star Wars director and a person, because people get awfully personal mm. in their insults to him, which is unfortunate, um, if that's going to evolve or if almost this like internet culture and this obsessive fandom that we're in these days has kind of set that in stone already or if everyone just has short memories and we'll move on from that and be like oh i totally see why he did those things in the second act do you know yeah it'd probably be a mix because i think some people have shaped their identities at least their online identities around loathing that movie and what he did to star wars 
now and it's almost like and it's being monetized and all this i know we're we're so far away from the subject matter that we're supposed to be discussing right now but i guess that's the context that we're coming to this trailer with right yeah exactly we're scene setting so (laughs) i think that's fine but yeah on that note it's probably a good idea to actually get into the scene by scene breakdowns otherwise the podcast will be three hours long um it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it would be very, very long. Um, okay, so the trail opens in the jungle with running. Specifically, Ray is running. So Ray loves of, running. She really does love running. She's very good at it. She's extremely athletic. It's impressive. Yeah, so there's sort of like a helmet like being plonked on the ground, a helmet of a visor. And then there's one of the little training ball thingies that Luke has in the original Star Wars, like firing bolts at her and she's mm-hmm. sort of deflecting it with the saber as she's running and it's a, presumably a training exercise you'd think but yeah yeah I, th- I guess this must be tied to the glimpse that we saw in the d23 footage as well right yeah i think so the one where she's like throws the saber and it cuts through the tree right yeah yeah that's very much the vibe I get. But yeah, like perhaps more interesting than what the scene might literally represent in that Ray is training in a jungle. Let's make a safe assumption so it's probably early in the movie. I think all of that's pretty safe to state at this point. I think it's more interesting what it might be trying to express about Ray as a character and where she is emotionally in this movie. Like, What do you get from this opening in that regard, Kirsty? Well, this is what I love about what they've done with the sequel trilogy in general when it comes to Rey, because they are so good at conveying her state of mind with no words. Yeah. Um, you know, right from the beginning with Rey's introduction, that's one of the strongest parts of the sequel trilogy. Mm. I think it's safe to say. Um, you do just get this overwhelming sense of isolation and frustration and pressure that she's putting on herself or others are putting on her, probably both. Yeah. Um, this idea of her preparing for something, but we're not quite sure what it is. It's just this sense of like, there's something big coming um, that she needs to train for. And also this sense that she's maybe running away from something, that she's yeah. not quite dealing with everything that's happened, especially everything that went down in The Last Jedi between her and Kylo. And um, yeah, just that there's a lot of emotion and frustration under the surface there that she isn't quite dealing with. Yeah, no, I think that's a very accurate assessment. And yeah, like, it just is also very much stressing that Ray is alone. She's set apart from everyone else. Like, there are obviously quite a few moments later on where we see her in the context of the Resistance. So with people like Finn and Poe. So yeah, we're not meant to get the impression that she's completely miserable and isolated. There's obviously moments of levity and togetherness with allies which is awesome and good for her but yeah that's not the note that they're setting it us up with and i think that's done specifically because the trailer in itself is sort of a mini story because it starts off with her alone to show her interactions with various characters later on and then end and resolve on that final note of her that beautiful expression on her face that we'll talk about in due course yeah i feel like this sets up things pretty pretty well for the rest of the trailer right like in terms of how ray's feeling yeah um, how things were left on that note at the end of the last movie with luke saying i will not be the last jedi this is the last jedi and just like luke she's now feeling that pressure of being the legend of her generation um that pressure to save the galaxy 
and I I don't know in terms of like her confidence level whether Ray feels like she can't do it or whatever that is but like you just get this sense that maybe her friends have all this faith in her and they're saying to her trying to reassure her or like say oh we know you've got this and yeah. she's actually like I don't know what I'm doing I don't think I'm the person that you keep saying I am yeah but we'll, we'll we'll see more specifically obviously in the actual story but they're setting that up so. yeah exactly that self-doubt not being ready to take on the mantle that sort of thing yeah and then there's this glorious match cut where they go from Ray leaping across this gorge in the forest to Ray leaping across a gap in what I presume is the interior of the Death Star ruins um, which is such an awesome shot and it's obviously heavily reminiscent of how Rey is introduced in The Force Awakens when she's navigating the downed Star Destroyer. So yeah, would you like to talk a bit about this shot and all that echoing that it's got going on, Kirsty? Yeah, as you say, it is echoing her days of scavenging. So to me, that is telling us that Rey's journey is not yet complete, which... Mm-hmm again is obvious since we still have a movie to go but essentially in terms of her heroine's journey that she has yet to reconcile the masculine and feminine right yeah which we saw her get close to in the last jedi and then it was snatched away again so i do feel like in a way ray and kylo are kind of echoing that exchange that we had between han and leia in the force awakens this idea of going back to the only thing you were ever any good at right yep um that kind of that's what this shot reminded me of yeah that makes sense the idea of regression yeah that she's retreated into the safety of what she feels like she knows whether that's the running or the scavenging um and it's kind of the same way that we talked about before when we found out that her hair was going to be put back in those three buns and kylo has the mask back i feel like those are pretty clear symbols for it as well yeah exactly one step forward two steps back Mm mm-hmm Yep, then we cut to a shot of Finn. Um, he's looking for his binoculars, but then he lowers them. I think it's safe to say he looks concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a shot that's so abstracted and removed from context, it's difficult to get much from it. You know, so he could be reacting to anything in that moment, to be honest. So I struggle to hazard guesses. Um, perhaps more interesting is there's a voiceover from Finn at this point. It's the first words we get in the trailer, which is really cool. And Finn says, it's an instinct, a feeling. The Force brought us together. So, yeah, would you like to talk about the meaning you're getting from this, Kirsty? Uh, well, it's really hard to gauge because you don't know who he's talking to. Yeah, exactly. It's like what I just said about the actual shot itself. So. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, I think it works whoever he's talking to because it's, it's kind of setting up this idea, again, again, reminding the audience what the Force is about but also that Finn's personal understanding of the Force has grown so much from that first movie. Um, I do think that's a conscious choice. Um, I will say personally, my shipper heart is telling me that Finn's talking to Rose, but <laughs> who knows? That yeah. could easily not be the case. He could, you know, he could be talking to Janna, like um, anyone who he's like connected to in this movie and wanting to emphasize that they're meant to be together in this moment they're meant to be working towards something together yeah um it just it makes me speculate about all these relationships that finn's gonna have so you know presumably with rose presumably with janna um ray and poe too of course the resistance in general maybe um 
yeah, I know it's possible that he's addressing the resistance, but that always kind of feels more like it's Poe's thing. Like yeah. he, he does, in The Last Jedi, he does have lines, especially towards the end on Crate, where he is kind of addressing the crowd and saying what we need to do and all that and creating a plan. But in general, I feel more like Poe is the one who's making all these grand speeches and motivational things to people. Yeah. But could be I not. do feel like it's more likely to be a small, intimate conversation between him and one other person rather than like a big, inspiring rally the troops moment although it could easily be that so i'm not betting any money on this just to be clear yeah i just think um the volume that he's speaking at and just kind of the way he's enunciating the words it sounds less like he's speaking to an audience do you know yeah you know what i mean yeah i know exactly what you mean i agree with you basically beyond the level of how the line is used in the movie i think again it also serves this purpose for the trailer overall which is this idea of destiny and the force operating in all these mysterious ways to bring all of these characters that we see over the course of the trailer together because there's so many scenes like showing these interrelationships between people like you obviously have Rey and Kylo you have Rey and Leia you have Rey, Finn and Poe you have Free PO and the new gang it goes on and on you know in terms of all these character dynamics and I really think that line is meant to encompass all of that, even though it won't literally refer to all of those things when it's said in the movie. Yeah, if it's said in the movie. Yeah, you know, exactly. Sometimes they uh, record things just for the trailer. So we'll see. Yeah. Could just be a but either way, trailer I'm, line. Yeah, I'm glad that we got Finn as a voiceover again, like we did for the... Was it the Force Awakens one where he's talking about being trained to fight, being trained for one thing? Yes. No, exactly. Oh my God, that's so nostalgic. <laughs> yeah it's such and it's such a contrast to that right because that's the idea of being like artificially trained in this way that was dehumanizing this is finn reaching this place of like trusting in the force having this connection with something larger than himself and believing truly in a cause which is where presumably he is at the end of the last jedi at the start of the rise of skywalker this is where he feels he belongs truly, which is actually quite a contrast with how Ray feels, right? Yeah. Um, because she might believe in the cause, she believes she's on the right side politically, but in terms of personal belonging, I think she's got a way to go in the way that Finn might have already achieved. Yeah. No, I think that's very fair. Um, cool. Then we get another shot of Ray running. I don't think there's much <laughs> to add because, yeah, everything that we previously said about Ray running applies. But yes, badass looking shot, very nice scenery. And then the next like new new shot is one presumably set in some resistance hangar where there's loads of people and it looks like some key characters are assembled in the middle and there's presumably some inspiring speech being delivered. Um, that's the vibe I get anyway. And we have another voice over here, this time from Poe, and Poe says, We're not alone. Good people will fight if we lead them. Because that's exactly how it's delivered. <laughs> yeah, so very classic, like, rah-rah, res- go resistance, like, inspiring line, basically. The kind of line you'd expect from Pearl. Yeah, exactly. So it- it's a nice line. It's, yeah, like, to me, it just further drives home the fact that a character like Poe, I feel like he's kind of had all his character development now. So, like, I like Poe. I'm glad he's in the movie. But... I'd be kind of surprised if he had another complete arc to himself in The Rise of Skywalker, you know, so I don't see where else there's left for him to go at this point, given that we saw him go on that journey in The Last Jedi. 
Like, do you think that's fair or am I dissing on Poe a bit? No, I do think it's fair. I'm curious to see how his role fits in because I have a feeling that what he'll be used for in this story as opposed to The Last Jedi where he had a really great arc of his own, to be honest, and they really surprised me with that in a good way. Um, I think he could make things especially interesting for Rey and how she fits and doesn't fit in with the Resistance. Yeah. Um, I think it's a safe bet um, that there'll be a scene relatively early on between Poe and Rey that kind of sets up how she expresses herself later in terms of feeling like people keep saying they know me. Um, So it it could be Finn or it could be Rose, but for some reason I feel like Poe is well positioned as like the new leader of the resistance to pile those feelings onto Rey. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I feel like that could be interesting. And then, and then that would be a good emotional role for Poe. Like you say, I do feel like he's gotten to a place now where his arc is pretty complete. Yeah, I feel like it would be kind of contrived to like give him a whole other arc, but we'll see. They could do something wonderful for him that I'm not expecting at all. So we'll find out. Yeah, and um, in this shot, you can see... Well, I can't really see anything, but... <laughs> Others have said, and I, I, to be fair, I see Lando because he's wearing his dashing yellow shirt. You've got here that you can see Chewie and Snap. And I did actually see Greg Grunberg highlight himself on Twitter in the shot, which is really cute. That's the only reason I know Snap <laughs> is in that picture, just to he's be like, clear. He's like, look, I'm in the trailer. <laughs> I wasn't like, oh my God, it's Snap. <laughs> um, yeah, super psyched. I was told that Maz is also in the shot, but I... I'm just going to take whoever it was who said that's word for it. Yeah, I feel like it's a bit like, where's Wally at this point? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> like, well, I'm, I'm glad you can see it. I can. I'm guessing that someone has like lightened it because it's, it's very hard to tell. Yeah, um, and I'm sure people have been looking at it much higher quality screen caps than the one we have in front of us right now. Exactly. Um, I don't know if it's just me like reading too much into it but do you think that Poe's voice breaks a little with emotion when he says we're not alone oh no I can hear that like, okay good in terms of my like Oscarizer compression I'd say it's like we're not alone yeah I like it like it's yeah, not no, just... it's really good I sound like I'm taking the piss but it's no, nice. no. it works really well I don't think you're taking the piss I just it I I really appreciate it because there is this like weird fanon idea that Poe is kind of this bland one-dimensional character and I don't think it's the case yeah, uh, I think Oscar gives a really great performance. I think there's a lot going on with this character. He's just not the the central character, which is fine, you know. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, the idea of his voice breaking at that point, like, I don't know if that means that this speech in particular is important, or if it's just a case of like how invested Poe is in everything at this point. As, and is he feeling that pressure and then maybe he's like projecting that onto Rey too because he's the leader of the resistance and then she's the leader of like you know the, the sense of like the mystical aspect of the resistance in terms of being the last Jedi yeah it's like church and state kind of right yeah and I think it could also tie into the note that last Jedi ends out on where you obviously have that call going out to the galaxy f- for help for the resistance and they really make a point of saying no one's coming. And obviously, because Rise of Skywalker takes place sometime after The Last Jedi, they have 
built up again and they they're in better shape than they were at the end of the last Jedi, which wouldn't be hard. So it was really bad shape. Um, but I kind of get the sense from the line that perhaps it's been questioned and people are saying, look, it's hopeless. We're so small. How are we going to do this? How are we going to have any impact at all when there's so few of us? You know, so I think that's probably the positioning of this sort of line. Mm. Yeah, I'm really interested to read Resistance Reborn because we've already had an excerpt where Poe is trying to get Maz to join the fight. Right. Which is really interesting, to be honest, because it's quite a departure from The Force Awakens where she's the one trying to get Rey to join the fight and, like, we have to face them. This is the only <laughs> fight that matters. And then they ruin her castle and she's like, yeah, you know what? I'm good. <laughs> Yeah, keep I'll, me be, out of this. I'll be Switzerland in this equation. <laughs> Mars is Switzerland. Nice. <laughs> yes, we've had lots of hints about how the Resistance is rebuilding. There's quite a lot about that in Black Spar as well, which is another reason to read that book. I really recommend it. Like, they're clearly sowing lots of seeds for that, and I'm sure Resistance Reborn will go into that in a huge way. Um, okay, cool. So let's move on to the next shot, which is of Rose. So it's Yay. so cool to see her. And we have Connix and Dominic Monaghan's characters in the background, um, which is nice. So you get free for the price of one, so to speak. And yeah, it's just awesome to see Rose again, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was very pleased that she was put in the trailer. Yeah. And yeah, she looks quite emotional, like it's maybe a goodbye scene, something like that. But that's just spitballing, you know, it could be anything. Um, although it is interesting to me that Rose, Connix and Dominic, they're all going in one direction and everyone else seems to be walking and running the other direction. So I don't know what that's all about. Who knows? Well, I, I wonder if these three are supposed to be going in that direction with the other background characters, but they're looking at people like Finn and Poe as they depart on another mission. Right. That would make sense. So maybe she's, you know, saying goodbye to Finn. Yeah. And then after the goodbye, maybe they're meant to turn around and run a, run just like the others. Right. Yeah, that so would make sense. Presumably an emotional moment. Um, yeah, I, I've just read Spark of the Resistance, as I said, and then I haven't read the Allegiance comics yet, but I've seen some of the panels of Rose, and it does seem to be a common theme that she's pretty concerned for Finn's safety whenever either of them are off on a mission um, and they're separated, which oh. makes sense, you know. Yeah. Because I'm going to presume that they're continuing that relationship, although they've been kind of coy about it in interviews. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if they're separating for a big part of the movie, that will have emotional implications for their relationship. So, um, yeah, I think the fact that Dominic Monaghan, we still don't have a character name, so I guess we have to keep calling him <laughs> that, uh, Mary Adoc Brandybuck and uh, Connix are looking in that direction it kind of looks like they're watching them say goodbye, right? Yeah, that makes sense. And is it just me or does, does Connix look really weary? Like she's been through some shit. Um, I mean, I see what you mean, but they're so blurry in the background that it's hard to know for sure. <laughs> it could be anything, I guess. <laughs> she could just like have had a bad night. Who knows? Yeah. I really like uh, Rose's new hairstyle with the double buns. I think yeah. it's really cute. Her new look is really flattering for her, I must say. Yeah. I think I prefer her look in this movie than I did in The Last Jedi. Although okay. I still love First Order Infiltrator look for Rose. That's oh, like, me too. She that's great. her best look. <laughs> <laughs> With a little hair flicks. Yeah, she just looks so slick. It was great. <laughs> I love how she managed to find a uniform that's perfectly tailored to her. It's like so good. Mm-hmm. 
It's like movie logic, I will say. but the best kind of movie logic. Sorry, please continue. I've got, I've got to give a shout out to like the tinfoil hat theory here because so far we obviously have very few shots of Rose, but even when we do like this, we don't see her from like the waist down or shoulders down really. Um, mm. There is this like crack theory out there that Rose might be pregnant and that's why they're kind of keeping her role on the down low. Right. So I'm just going to throw it out there that we have not seen any evidence to the contrary yet. So it's still this possible. <laughs> and yep. that could be an explanation for why she's not going on that mission. Yeah, that would make sense. Like, how would you feel about that if she were pregnant? Um, I, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I don't yeah. know if it's likely and I'm not invested in it, but, you know. Yeah, if she is, I guess it'd be another way of giving emotional weight to that relationship and the stakes. But yeah, we will see. So I know I remember seeing like still images of Rose, like I think one of the standees or something, you know, where you can buy life-sized 3D cutouts of the characters. Oh, because okay. I'm sure everyone wants those. Um, and there was one of Rose. She didn't look okay. pregnant in the image, but who knows? I don't think yeah. you can trust something like that too much. Yeah, it's just a crack theory as well. So I'm not sure anyone would be devastated if it turns out to not be the case. <laughs> Yeah, you're like write a strong, strongly worded letter to Jamie. <laughs> I was promised pregnant Rose. You <laughs> did like deliver on... pregnant Rose. What? <laughs> this is so specific. Okay. Um. Then we cut to a shot of Finn, Poe, and Chewie. They're in front of an orange X-wing on the jungle, which I'm guessing again is where the movie starts. Like there's presumably some sort of resistance base there. Um, looks like everyone's about to go off on an adventure, would you say? Yeah. To me, this looks like it could line up with Ray and Leia hugging, presumably hugging goodbye. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, and the I'm dying to know, like, because I'm, I'm just so curious to see how that fits in. And after that point, like, do we see Leia again? Mm. What's, yeah. what's the extent of her role? Yeah, it's like... It, that's the only like moving shot of her that we've had really isn't exactly. it exactly yeah because they've used it twice now so they used it in the first teaser and they're reusing the same shot here and i understand why they're doing that because it's a very like emotive powerful shot to use but yeah like it just goes back to it being such a tragedy that carrie's passing means they're so limited in what they can do with that character basically so mm -hmm. it's going to be purely determined by what leftover footage they had from The Force Awakens. So, yeah, we will see. Yeah, it does make sense for them to reuse the shot because they want to save everything that they have. Um, yes. I'm just very curious to see how much they do have and how well they've been able to fit it into a story. Yep. No, exactly. It's very fair. Okay, cool. Then we get to some of the big stuff. So we get this shot of Ray. And she's looking, I'd say, tense and agitated, perhaps. Would you agree with that, Kirsty? Yeah, she looks uh, pretty on edge. <laughs> she's, she's like, not just chilling next to a cannon. Yeah, she's not relaxed about the situation. Um, and this shot is on the Death Star with waves crashing about, as you'd expect. Very dramatic. And it's accompanied by a voiceover from Ray where she says, People keep telling me they know me no one does in that exact tone of voice not really <laughs> yeah and there's a lot going on in this especially in combination with what follows but yeah do you want to talk about this shot of ray specifically kirsty 
yeah, like kind of what I was saying earlier, her line here does make me feel like we're going to have a scene earlier in the movie where Finn, Poe, or both of them make an emotional blunder, whether they realize it or not, of mm. kind of assuming something about Ray that isn't true or like right. inadvertently putting pressure on her to be something that she doesn't feel that she is. So, you know, we, we already have this idea of Ray keeping the force bond secret. I'm guessing she's not going to make that public information. She might confide in maybe Leia or someone like that, but I can't see her talking to Poe about it. Mm, um, yeah. Or even just the idea of her working with Kylo to take Snoke down. Um, maybe they know that she did battle Snoke, but I highly doubt that she mentioned that she was working with Ben Solo, right? Like, Oh, yeah. There's just <laughs> a big can of worms there. Um, or even, you know, the proposal that he made to her afterwards and her choosing to reject that. Like, that's all just such heavy stuff in Ray's life. I don't know how she would begin to explain any of it. Yeah. Then we have that excerpt from Resistance Reborn where she is talking to Leia about... Yes. So yeah. I do think that Leia is maybe the one person because Leia obviously has this connection. She she knows that Leia has the Force. She's connected to Luke and Ben in a way that the other characters just aren't. Yes. Um. So I can see that. But then if they're saying goodbye to Leia and Leia can't be a big part of this movie, maybe that's why some of those conversations made their way into Resistance Reborn. Yeah. Because they might have come up in the movie, but that's not possible now. Of course, yeah. So yeah, there's just this sense of Rey not really being able to express all of this stuff that's going on to her, like to anyone aside from maybe Kylo, if if she's actually saying this line to him. Yeah. No, exactly. He says we obviously get that sense of a statement and then a response as if they're paired, but they could easily be taken from different parts of the movie. So we will see in due course. Yeah. Um, and to not to keep beating a gothic romance dead horse, but I do feel like this lines up pretty well with stuff that we've said in the past about like Ray in Act Three kind of going into the part of Jane Eyre where she's with Sinjin right mm, and yeah. maybe poe or the resistance in general kind of embodies that character to her this like uh blind faith in something that she can't quite line up with and it's like the head and the heart aren't truly aligned yeah exactly there's still that gap or incompleteness for her and yeah there's something really powerful about this moment just generally and i think it also yeah, like it relates very much to that sense of searching and that sense of questioning everything that we saw in The Last Jedi. And yeah, that led to all those marvellous scenes of Kylo and Rey coming into each other's confidence. And yeah, it's really exciting to see that being continued in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I kind of feel like to talk about it properly, we also need the shots of Kylo because <laughs> yeah, they're sort of a package deal. Um and they're just so, so epic, the way that he's seen sort of approaching through the sea mist. So he starts off as this blurry outline in the distance and he comes more and more into focus. But you can clearly see the red saber to begin with. And then you cut to a closer view of him and he's sopping wet and saber in hand doing elaborate gestures, that which I'm sure we'll expand on shortly. And yeah, it's probably the most epic shot in the entire trailer to be honest in my, in my <laughs> mind there's really beautiful scenes and perhaps more powerful single shots but i think as a sequence where you get ray clearly amping herself up to encounter him and then him emerging in that fashion that's like the most powerful set of shots for me mm -hmm. 
Do you have thoughts on the line as well? But I do. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, like it, it feels very reminiscent of that fireside conversation in The Last Jedi in the heart that we obviously all love so much where it's um, um, you're not alone neither are you um, which yeah is just such a powerful moment of like connection and mutual affinity across that great distance mm-hmm. and I feel like Kylo is going to be all about that connection between them in this movie and I feel like he his like being craving that and obviously we don't know where the connection stands at the start of this movie whether it's been something that's been going on with them ever since the last jedi and in the time that we haven't seen prior to this movie taking place or if we're going to see them reconnect for the first time in this movie we just don't know that yet mm-hmm. but i think regardless of what's up with that situation we're going to see it where this connection means a lot to Kylo and he's heavily, heavily invested in selling Rey on that bond between them, essentially. Mm. Whereas I think Rey is, for many very sensible and highly understandable <laughs> reasons, is perhaps going to be a bit less inclined to buy into that. Let's put it that way. So, Well, I think it will be a case of her feeling that way, but being perhaps unable to admit it to either herself or to him or both, you know? like Yeah. It's complicated as Daisy has said. And I think it's going to be that thing about like having to admit to those like darker aspects of herself and stuff and find that common ground between each other again. Mm-hmm. Because they're both basically, at the end of The Last Jedi, they're both pushed right back to the opposite ends of the spectrum where Rey is this pure beacon of light. She's the Last Jedi. She's the Great Hope. And Kylo is the evil supreme leader. He's the new Snoke. He's in charge of the First Order. He's very, very bad. So we're going to have to see them move from those extremes further into the grey again so they can actually find that common language once more. Yeah. And I I do feel like Rey, as you say, completely understandably will feel like, well, I did everything I could. I gave him that chance. I wanted to be with him. And... He rejected it, and just as much as he feels that she rejected his offer. Yeah. Um, you know, she says that to Leia again in that excerpt from Resistance Reborn. Sorry to keep bringing it up if people haven't read it, but it's very interesting to me, and we'll definitely be talking more about it when the book comes out and there's more context. But it's clear to Leia that Ray cares about Ben. Like, that oh, much yeah. is evident. She's not trying to hide that from Leia, or if she is, she's not doing it very well. Um, Leia can tell like she's not sleeping well she's not taking care of herself she's worried um, and and she cares about Leia's son so all of that is going to play into this it's just how much is Rey acknowledging to herself Um, but just coming back to the shot in general the visuals I was so pleasantly surprised this week to see the general media and the general audience who watched this trailer finally waking up to the gothic romance slash Pride and Prejudice, Mr. Darcy parallels. Yep. <laughs> because I think I referenced Mr. Darcy in like my first meta on Tumblr about the sequel trilogy. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so it's like, oh my God, finally. The you know, people, Specifically, obviously, it echoes visually that shot of Darcy in the 2005 Joe Wright film where he's kind of walking towards her across the field in the mist. Yeah. Um, but just in general, like it's very, it's very period romance, gothic romance tropiness isn't it yes um 
and the line it really cuts to the heart of their dynamic as we've said so there's it would be hard for people to avoid it now i think it's so blatantly sexually charged it's kind of yeah hard to resist i think you'd think but <laughs> i just i just remembered that i have seen some people talking and you know whatever art is subjective people have their own interpretations but i don't know why i hadn't anticipated this because it's just really important to some fans but when kylo says but i do as in he knows ray I think some people have taken that to mean that he has some information on her parentage. Mm. I definitely think that's an overly literal take on it. It's like, yeah, I, I'm not saying it it could potentially allude to that, but I don't think that would be the totality of it. And I certainly yeah. don't think that's the takeaway we're meant to be getting for the purposes of this trailer. Exactly. It's meant to be about them connecting as human beings and him understanding her as a person or thinking right. he does. It's the contrast between Rey feeling how she feels when she's with the Resistance versus how she interacts with Kylo Ren and how much aggression and honesty and pain comes to the surface because he can see right through her. Yeah. Um, the contrast with her feeling like she's got this role to play for the Resistance. Yeah, exactly. There's no ray of light anymore. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, you referenced the fireside lines from The Last Jedi, but even don't be afraid i feel it too like this is a through line from the force awakens oh, yeah. these characters very quickly had this intimacy um yeah, yeah because of their connection through the force so yeah no jj is picking up his own themes and his own character work here just as ryan did basically so mm-hmm. yeah it's always been there oh and i will say because i <laughs> as a pride and prejudice fan i've seen mm-hmm. other fans like talking about the various merits of different versions of that story so yes people have been making the comparisons to the 2005 film not everyone loves that version Mm -hmm. i will say that i think that this is also however consciously it might not be at all but it's a little nod to the colin firth 1995 version because it's he's soaked to the bone right (laughs) yes it's true I like to think about J.J. Abrams and Chris Terrio being in a room, like, freshing out ideas and being like, okay, how can we one-up the shirtless scene without asking Adam to get shirtless again? Because that would be awkward. So, yeah. And I feel like they've done a pretty good job. This is a pretty epic shot. Yeah. So good on them. And yeah, I just love the imagery of the crashing waves. I find that so evocative. So I'm all about the scenery and the landscape being used as these metaphors for the emotions that the characters are going through and you don't get like a more obvious or effective metaphor you could say than like crashing waves in a stormy sea it just gives you a certain emotional tenor for what's going on between them basically it's like the sequel to their force bond scene where raised by the the crashing waves against the rocks and and then kylo gets the water through the force bond yeah. right and wipes exactly. off his face <laughs> yeah he had like a single little dab of moisture then and now he's literally <laughs> soaked to the bone so it's quite Pop a it step mean. up <laughs> sorry no no do it give into L- it kirsty lowering the it. tone here but hey it's not us we're just looking at what we're being given so. yeah exactly and i've seen people compare the giant gun behind ray to a phallic symbol so you're good oh yeah yeah <laughs> oh god 
<laughs> you can go so, as far as you like. You know. Yeah, once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. <laughs> um, okay. One last thing I want to say about the close-up shot of Kylo is he does this interesting move with mm. his saber, um, which, again, you'd need to see the entire fight in context to know what he's doing and what that's trying to say. But to me, that that's a very grand operatic way of saying, I don't want to fight you. I'm prepared to deflect your blows if you choose to deliver them. But I'd really rather not, because basically he's pushing the saber away from himself in that shot specifically. The next shot might be him twirling it right around so that he can <laughs> wield it in an aggressive manner. Who knows? <laughs> but, I get yeah. what you're saying, though. That's what it's kind of suggesting to us here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's what they want us to think right now. And I can, yeah, I'll just let myself think that. Yeah, exactly. Um, especially combined with the later images where it does kind of look like he's just parrying, like, you know, sh- she's attacking it, which makes sense from her aggressive stance in the shot previously. But yeah. yeah, from his perspective, it's like, mm, do I really want to fight you or do I have things I want to say to you? Yeah, exactly. So I'm sure there will be the inevitable like cries that oh no, Ray beat Kylo again because she's oh. inevitably going to. But That's the whole point the is point. that he's never once tried to actually attack her in any of these movies. It's all been uh. about trying to disarm her and stuff. He's never out to kill or wound her really. Yeah, I mean there were people mad that Luke Skywalker lost to Ray in the Last Jedi. So he's <laughs> like, way to miss the point, guys. Yeah. Look at the story that's being told. Oh, Sorry gosh. to get all lectury. That's yeah. very condescending of me. Sorry. <laughs> no worries. It's all good. Um, one final point, very important. I'm impressed by how good they managed to make Adam Driver look with soaking wet hair. Because trust me, it's not easy to look good when you're soaking wet. Most <laughs> people look really shit, but Adam looks pretty great. He does. Yeah. Okay, cool. So let's move on. So we have a shot of what looks like an iceberg. I'm sure it isn't, but it's a really cool shot. It looks almost like a reflection as well. Like, but I don't think it is. I think it's just like a floating structure. What What do you get from it, Kirsty? Yeah, I saw Caitlin from Sky Talkers tweet about this, and I really liked the idea that, um, just as you say, it's kind of hard to know what this will mean in the context of the movie itself, but this shot kind of reminds us of the art of the Rise of Skywalker book cover where you have Rey and Kylo as that kind of mirror image with the the notion of the water oh yeah that's really cool yeah so again as you say hard to know how to play it in the movie where it will mean anything but yeah it's a beautiful shot (laughs) do we even have a sense of like is this Kajimi is this meant to be the ice planet or is it somewhere else as far as I'm aware we don't really have context for it I don't think it's Kajimi Oh, okay. I might be wrong. We will see. Okay, cool. Then we have another shot of an empty throne. And I'd say it's a throne fit for an emperor. What say you, Kirsty? <laughs> I mean, I agree with you. <laughs> I think that's what we're supposed to be getting from this. <laughs> it's Luke's throne. <laughs> <laughs> that's the big twist. Um, oh, well, you know, everyone expected to see Supreme Leader Kylo Ren on his throne, but that's not what we're getting, is it? Yeah, that's such a shock. Although I would love to see Kylo looking all sad and mopey in a throne. That would make me happy. I don't mm-hmm. think we're going to get it as well. We got sort of a version of that in The Last Jedi where he's like slumped on, you know, during the Battle of Crate where he's in his ship and he's like, oh, oh Luke's there. Oh, got to face my uncle. 
Yeah, like let's have him pining after his um, sort of girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) She dubbed him. She's not his girlfriend anymore. (laughs) Okay, his (laughs) ex-girlfriend. But yeah, moving on. Great looking throne. Very villainous. Very evil looking. Definitely sends a clear, clear message about, yeah, I'm a bad person. Yeah, um, Phil Shostak, is that how you pronounce it? From I'd Lucasfilm? say it that way, yeah. The guy, who, the guy who makes the art books, anyway. He shared um, a 1981 Ralph Macquarie sketch from, obviously, as they were working on Return of the Jedi, um, that looks pretty much exactly like this. So this is what I love about Star Wars. Nothing gets wasted. You know, yeah. decades later, they'll still come back to it. Exactly. It's a great idea. It deserved to be used, and thus it was used. Yeah, so. to me, it kind of has the look of a spider. It's like Rey and Kylo are going to be ensnared in the Emperor's web. Yeah, I can see that. Like, it looks like a trap waiting to be sprung, so Mm. to speak. Yeah, there's lots of sinister implications to that, basically. Mm -hmm. Then there's another shot of a ship rising up through some icy stuff. I can't tell you anything about it. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. It's just it looks cool. Yeah, it looks really cool. (laughs) And cold. Yeah. Which, yeah, it's appropriate. It's a Christmas movie. It's... Yeah, there's a lot of ice. Yeah, exactly. Maybe Father Christmas's sleigh <laughs> is riding through that somewhere. Never know. <laughs> um, then there's another shot with a bewildering array of ships that's like overwhelming to me. Um, I know there's some familiar ships in that shot, though. Do you want to talk about what the familiar ships are? Cause... Well, we think so. It's not exactly confirmed confirmed, but um, what looks to be the Colossus, which is, of course, like the big... Is it? Do you call it a ship? Like it's ginormous. So yes, I guess it is a ship, but I don't yeah. think of it as that. I think of it as like almost like a village or a town where these people live. But that's kind um, of the twist, isn't it? Yeah, it's the first series that oh, it's actually yeah. a ship. But even now, it's moving. I I guess because it's like how you'd perceive like a giant cruise ship or something. Yeah, exactly. It's just so well, big. Like it's so like... much emphasis on the bar and stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, it's from Star Wars Resistance, so if you don't watch that show, it's probably not important to you. But um, call Easter eggs for fans, basically, right? Because yeah, people think care. that the, the, the ghost from Rebels is in there too. And I think you even got that in Rogue One as well. So it's kind of nice to throw these bones to people. Uh, but just in general, this shot must be like porn to, you know, the big ship fans in the fandom. Yeah, the big non-romance ship fans. <laughs> right. Yeah. I will say, while I am not one of those fans, I do think that it it quickly gets across the contrast. Um, you know, we see this immense diversity in the kind of ships that they have on display here versus the uniformity of the Star Destroyers. And I do think that's a pretty powerful visual that can be very quickly conveyed. Yeah, no, it's a nice bit of visual storytelling because yeah, it shows how... Um hobbled together everything is basically in the fact that it's very much this ragtag group of people and all these different factions coming together to fight this common evil exactly and yeah that's a nice powerful message Mm -hmm. then we have a nice shot that we saw in the build-up to the trailer that's just in the falcon cockpit and we have ray finn poe and chewie and ray looks happy that's the main takeaway for me. Ray's got a little smile on her face. She looks pleased to be there. And that's really nice because she's always been like tense or angry or agitated in this trailer. 
And yeah, it's just lovely to see her looking like she's having fun, basically. So I appreciated that. Yeah. Um, it is. Is it like the one moment we see that Ray looks happy? I guess In this trailer, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Although she didn't look too happy for The Last Jedi either. So. Um, I think the thing for me that's interesting is like, well, I get, it's only a glimpse, so it's just like, let's speculate. But I'm wondering if Poe is super happy about not being the pilot. Mm. Do you mean from his that, like expression? Well, not necessarily, because it's so hard to tell, isn't it? Just from like a passing glance. But yeah, as the pilot, the best pilot in the Resistance, is he a bit like, oh, wish I was flying. Yeah, did you say is... there was some sort of line about that in Spark of the Resistance? Yeah, it's actually mentioned a couple times because at first when they sit off for the mission, he's like pretty bummed out that he's not flying and Ray's like, oh, the Falcon's mine, so... <laughs> Deal with it. Um, and then and then when they land where they're going, he says to her like he's surprised that she flies so well and he acknowledges, he's like, oh, I know I sound like a bit of a jerk now I'm saying this out loud, but I didn't realise that you'd be good at this. It's like, oh, Poe. Mm. <laughs> Not a good look, Poe. Not a no. good look. Bring it down. But at least he has some self-awareness. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, hopefully he'll have grown a bit since the <laughs> events of the novel. Well, I'll hope so anyway. But, yeah. It'll be interesting, like, if they use something like that as a way of showing this, like, tension between them and reinforcing that, like, frustration Ray is feeling that we talked about at the start in terms of how she's framed as being alone and constantly running and restless and stuff. Yeah, and even if it ends up just being played for laughs, I feel like it would be a wasted opportunity if you didn't even acknowledge it, you know? Yeah. Because Poe is known to be the pilot, and in this film, he's clearly playing a different role. So how is he adjusting to that? How is he dealing with being the backseat driver, basically? Yeah, exactly. I think just seeing their relationship at all is going to be interesting, because on screen, we've never got anything between them at all, apart from that one scene where they meet in The Last Jedi, which, for the second time. Yeah, for the second time. Uh, so, yeah, that's basically up to JJ to make of it whatever he wishes. So, yeah, that'll be really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we cut back to Rey and Kylo fighting on the wreckage of the Death Star 2. Because the, the numbering is highly important, as I'm sure you appreciate. <laughs> well, it is. They'd have a job to fight on the ruins of Death Star 1. <laughs> Yeah, that would be um, quite a challenge. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, like, there's not much else to say about this that, like, I think we haven't already covered when we talked about the first shot where they seem to be encountering each other for the first time on the ship. Um, but yeah, this is really where you see that it seems like Kylo's only fighting her defensively and blocking her blows, whereas Ray's really trying to have a go at him, so to speak. So she's got lots of anger to work through. Again, I'm sure justifiable anger, knowing Kylo. Um, but yeah, just gives you a sense of where their dynamic is and the fact that he's not invested in attacking her. Yeah, I'm just dying to know what the dialogue is during this scene. Because oh, yeah. I feel like it's going to be as much about what they're saying to each other as the fight itself. Or the fight will be reflected in what they're saying because... If it's meant to be in line with how they're fighting, as you say, with her attacking him and him reacting to that, it's. I would expect it to be like 
him saying you need to give me a chance to say whatever i need to say and she's not having it yeah um and i do feel like this is meant to be a mirror to mustafar because mm. i mean the obvious visual parallel of the water versus the vol- volcano and all that fire yeah um but yeah this idea of ray as the jewel padme and obi-wan figure in ben who is obviously paralleling anakin um i feel like that has got to be somewhat conscious on jj's yeah. part right yeah no i feel like that's completely valid so you're dealing with the third movie in the respective trilogy and from how they're promoting this this is going to be like the centerpiece jewel of the movie um and yeah it makes complete sense that they'd be thinking about okay how does this interact with that climactic duel from revenge of the sith because yeah there does need to be some thought given to those symbolic interactions and yeah like it's and i love again the wave imagery because you do have that sense with like waves and water of that cleansing feel and like wiping away sins of the past and like extinguishing the flames and stuff because flames can obviously have potentially positive connotations like passion and stuff but mostly it's more negative you know like destructive and like anger and rage and all these like negative passionate emotions whereas like the water that can be conducive to healing and like dousing the flames and yeah making things better essentially so Mm Yeah, hopefully this will begin to make things right. Yeah, I mean, Mustafar is kind of meant to be like a hellish landscape, isn't it? So, yeah, this this is contrast to that. While you know, Ray's angry, uh, you can't help but feel something of like a, you know, a hope and optimism that this is them kind of bringing things to the surface and saying what they need to say to each other. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You'd like to think so. <laughs> Um, yeah, so another great shot. Um, then you have a little shot of Ray, it looks like to me, on a rickety little ship, like bouncing across the waves. Um, and I think it's pretty safe to say that's how Ray gets to the Death Star, too, basically. This looks mm. like her means of transportation. Didn't we also get a snippet at some point of Ray saying, I need to go alone? Oh yeah, I think we did. So I think maybe that was like the shareholders' footage. Or something yeah, like that. it was reported to us rather than us seeing it, right? But yeah, I feel like that has to fit in here somehow. Yeah, and I feel like there's going to be several moments where that happens. To be honest, because it feels like she's going to be facing Kylo alone a lot in this movie. I don't mm. feel like there's going to be like group confrontations <laughs> against Kylo Ren. It's always going to be just Ray and him, because that dynamic is so much about those two as individuals that it sort of makes it needlessly complicated if you bring other characters into it. Um, Although later you do get Finn running towards them. Yeah. Again, kind of echoes parts of The Force Awakens. Yeah, that's true. So I'm definitely not opposed to like bringing in other characters, especially Finn, because he did have an interesting relationship with Kylo in The Force Awakens and it would be really cool to see some sort of further development of that in this movie. But yeah, like the main focus is obviously meant to be Ray and Kylo themselves. So yeah, I think there's going to be lots of moments basically where Ray's like, I need to face him alone. And yeah, <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see how she keeps on inventing new pretexts. For, <laughs> I need to face him alone. So there's only so many times you can say that. 
being like, yeah. no, you don't. <laughs> We're coming with you. It's right. Like, oh, this is awkward. <laughs> um, okay, cool. Then we get what's definitely the longest sequence in the entire trailer, which is Freepio. Looks like he's undergoing droid surgery, courtesy of the adorable little alien, Babu Frick, who we've been introduced to prior to the trailer. And he's like a little puppet. He's really, really cute. Yeah. Babu um, freaking adorable. <laughs> yes. That's so perfect. Um, yeah. And he's doing something to C-3PO. And C-3PO gives a heart-rending speech in response to Poe's question. So Poe is like, what are you doing there, 3PO? And C-3PO is like, taking one last look, sir, at my friends. And... Again, I'm sort of being a bit silly, but it is actually really emotionally powerful in the moment. Like, did you get the feels watching this, Kirsty? Did it hit you? I did, yeah. I still do every time I watch it. Um, yeah. You got in the notes here that you don't think this is 3PO's final end, because, of course, they wouldn't show it in the marketing if it was. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'd be surprised. I'd be surprised. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I don't think he's dying as much as a droid could die. But yeah. obviously, something here is being sacrificed. There have to be stakes at some level, right? So maybe there's this idea that he might not come back. Yeah. Because, you know, with droids, you can, like, reprogram them. If you put something else in, his personality or skill set might change. And that might be a temporary thing, right? Yeah. And it's like, what is death for a droid? <laughs> right. It's like, we saw, like, him get thoroughly dismantled in Empire Strikes Back, and that didn't count as death. So I feel like this has got to be, like, something's different but perhaps stronger for him to yeah. have this like make such a big deal of it basically you can see a battle droid behind him as he's speaking um yeah so you know yay for a prequel reference um but i wonder if that is supposed to be suggesting that he might be turning into someone who could be more on the attacking side of droid rather than being anxious butler droid <laughs> Well, we have seen Rambo C-3PO in some of the images where he's <laughs> exactly. got like, a bandolier, so who knows? <laughs> so that could be funny. Yeah. Um, oh, and also notable is Zori Bliss actually makes an appearance in this part mm -hmm. of the trailer. She stood next to Poe. Like, yeah. she's really, really slight and just to the edge of the frame. So I actually missed her the first few times I watched it. Yeah. But yeah, it's a really cool looking outfit. I like it. Yeah, I think we said last time that there was this image from Entertainment Weekly of Zori holding up this disc thing, and yeah. we're theorising that that could be like part of the scene that it's being inserted into 3PO's head or whatever. Um, that could, yeah, alter him in some way. Yeah. Presumably help them on their mission, so. Yeah, so I'd like to think 3PO isn't being a big drama queen, that there is some actual sacrifice going on, because... It's like, otherwise you're just going to make me roll you my eyes. Yeah, I did say last week that, oh, it looks like R2 is on the mission with them after all. But then watching it a few more times, I realised that the shot of 3PO like touching R2 on the head. Mm -hmm. They've got people in the background. Yeah. So it, it's, it's a different shot. And I'm wondering why they even bothered to do that. Because <laughs> it would have still worked as like the other characters as his friends that he's saying goodbye to. But... We're going to pretend that Artu's there for some reason. It's all about those nostalgia feels. <laughs> we all know it. But if that was that important, he could have actually been on the mission with them. They obviously made the choice for him not to be there. 
they probably have some like accountant somewhere saying that if you include a shot of R2D2 in the trailer, <laughs> it will mean you get five million extra dollars from okay. the movie. Something All like right. that. Well, in that there's case, probably like... some sort of practical reason why he can't go to Kajumi. It will be like the Daleks and it's like, oh, there's too many stairs. <laughs> R2 has the... <laughs> he can fly! <laughs> but have we ever seen that ability used beyond the prequels? No, but the prequels are canon. <laughs> Do you see JJ realistically having R2-D2 fly? Oh, please. I would give anything to see R2 fly again. <laughs> Screw Raylo, I just want R2-D2 to fly. Exactly. Yeah, and my other very important observation is that I like the um, Resistance's heavy weather gear. It's very nice. Everyone has mm-hmm. a coat. So they're clearly not that badly equipped because they came yes. prepared for once. Very they, sensible of them. They learnt the lessons of Starkiller Base, basically. Mm-hmm. Poe has a scarf on. Yeah, no, Poe is very, very organised. Like, Ray is literally just wearing it over her desert scavenger costume, but I assume she doesn't know how to dress herself at this point because she always wears the same thing. So it's like, fine, whatever you want. <laughs> She's probably got nothing on her legs. They're <laughs> probably wearing sandals or something. God. It's like, Ray, it's snowing, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god um, but yeah it's a really nice sequence I think it's very effective and yeah it works on that meta level as well you know because obviously one last look it's the last movie of the sequel trilogy it's the last movie apparently of the saga so they're saying come on guys it's the last hurrah for all these characters you love including mm-hmm. R2-D2 who's definitely in the scene <laughs> 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 So it was very effective. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, cool. Would you like to talk through the next shot, Kirsty? Uh, well, it looks like Poe, Chewie, and Finn um, are on a Star Destroyer. Mm-hmm. I think that's safe to say. They've got nice polished floors. It all looks very smart. But who knows what is actually going on here. So It looks like they're attacking Stormies. There's well, a dead yeah. one. <laughs> but why are they there? So far, aside from that, we haven't really got any indication of Finn and Poe, their mission being related to like a Star Destroyer. It kind of looked more like, you know, they were on Persana and um, is it Kef Beer, the ocean moon where the, where the uh, Death Star is? I think so. But yeah. now, now they're suddenly on a Star Destroyer and we've got really no indication why. So curious yeah. about that. Again, it just drives home to me that this movie has a lot to do and we're dealing with lots of different locations and characters moving briskly between locations. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it just tells me we're going to have that very JJ thing of like a really whip smart pace and like it's like nonstop adventure, mm-hmm. which is nice because I think I also trust him to give us the emotional beats that we need to make it actually mean something rather than just being like an adrenaline rush, you know? Well, I hope so. <laughs> Well, I think Force Awakens delivered that very successfully, so that's yeah, why I too. trust him. So, yeah, in JJ I trust. Cool. Then we go back to that familiar shot of Ray hugging Leia, and at this point we get a voiceover from Luke, which is going to be worth talking about. And Luke says, "Confronting fear is the destiny of the Jedi. Your destiny." And this is sort of like a upswing moment in the trailer where you really notice that the tone becomes very positive and hopeful and 
the music like goes up a register and stuff and you're meant to feel like all pumped you know so it's giving you good feelings and yeah I think it's powerful that you get this over that shot of Ray and Leia because Leia's obviously offering that comfort and support but Ray does look so troubled and like she's got this heavy heavy burden on her shoulders still you know so I think you need the uplifting element to counter that because I think Paul Ray's going to be going through a lot in this movie. Oh, yeah. Bless her. <laughs> um, who do you think Luke's talking to? I'd say Ray, because obviously Ray is positioned by Luke at the end of The Last Jedi as The Last Jedi. So I really do think that he sees her as the heir to the Jedi. And yeah, I think he's probably preparing her in some way. I, I do think that's the likely option. Um but I am going to be that person, especially in light of the rise of Kylo Ren that we were talking about earlier and things that happened between Luke and Ben and talking about how I would really love to see more of a resolution after their confrontation on Crate. Yeah. I would really love Luke to be saying this to Ben. Oh, yeah. And, that'd be and really this nice. idea that, you know, if we're right about things coming to a redemptive arc, which I still think we are, that Kylo's journey across the sequel trilogy and even before that, you know, when he fell... Um, that this has all been about him confronting that fear in himself. Yeah. Um, and, and that was his destiny. But who knows? I, w- I would just really like to see something between Luke and Ben. I yeah. don't know if we're going to get it, but I would like it. Yeah. No, I really want that as well. And I think it's the sort of line where I think realistically he probably is just saying that to one person, but I think it probably encapsulates the theme of the entire movie. You know, that idea of confronting fear. I think regardless of whether that line is spoken to Kylo directly, I think we're going to see him do that because yeah, I believe in redemption as well. And to be redeemed, he is going to have to confront his fears. He's going to have to confront all that anxiety and self-doubt and self-loathing that drove him down that dark path to begin with, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're going to get payoff. Then there's a bunch of shots from what's basically an action sequence on Pasana. And it looks like a really cool sequence, and I love the use of colour. It looks basically like Finn and Poe are in like a skiff or a transport, or however you say it, and they're with Freepier actually. And they're presumably trying to outrun or evade some enemy, and BBA sets off this bright yellow canister, and yeah, it looks like it just disguises them basically and helps them get away. And I'm not sure how much there is to say about it and like dig into the deep meanings, but it looks exciting. I loved Finn's woo! Yeah. <laughs> I just think that looks like so much fun. Yeah. Um, and that he's managing to actually enjoy that. So that obviously it's a moment of levity in what might otherwise be quite a serious, like they're being chased by someone. Um, did you see the footage from that like safety video? <laughs> <laughs> of like an airline oh you know God. when they do those videos at the beginning of the flight yes and they I often did like it. tie in a promo there was footage there that looked like it showed ray and chewy on a speeder or whatever like alongside their speeder yeah that's right so is is john or finn looking at ray and like celebrating there or something i think that would make sense otherwise it's just him like being happy just for the hell of it which is perfectly valid a hundred percent in support of that either way it's adorable exactly i like it it's very good and it's happy um 
I love that we get him woohooing across the trilogy. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's like the consistent theme across all of Finn's like major character developments. He's always got that capacity for joy. Um, yep, then we have a nice shot of Chewie and Lando in the cockpit to the Falcon, I guess. Is that right? Wearing their matching headsets. Yeah, it's really so cute. cute. And again, having a great time. That's the theme of this part of the trailer. People having a great time, enjoying themselves. Um, which, yeah, I like to see. Yeah, I'm really excited to see Lando, but I hope, aside from like, you know, enjoying himself and having some fun, cute moments. I hope he has some quite serious moments as well. Yeah. Um, where he's reflecting on Han or, you know, how things have come to this point for the resistance. Yeah. Um Just give him some dramatic heft, basically. Yeah, I'm wondering if they'll even acknowledge the fact that he wasn't around for the first two movies. So yeah. like why has he decided to answer the call now? What was he off doing? Um, it, are we even going to get him kind of like when he goes onto the Falcon again for the first time will he acknowledge L3 in some way maybe not by name but you know, we would know the significance of it having seen Solo yeah just give the ship a poignant look and caress like a particular bum <laughs> oh my god <laughs> sorry <laughs> load the tone load the tone sorry <laughs> I'm very bad today um then it's a shot of a death destroyer sorry death destroyer what am i doing you see this is what i'm not good at ships okay so um then there's a shot of a star destroyer i think and then there's a little like two engined i guess resistance ship going towards it i don't know it could be anything Do you, do you have any like deeper insights into it? No, I, I mean it's just that it's a star destroyer, which suggests that like the next shot of them on the Orbax, that they're racing across a star destroyer, right? Yeah, and BB-8s like, with them. Yeah, you see, this sort of thing is the a great reason to remind people space fantasy. Well, fantasy. yeah, is the destroyer in the air flying? <laughs> Is it on the ground? Because that might make a bit more sense. But who cares? It will be amazing either yeah. way. So many questions. Um, yeah. Like, it's an epic shot, basically. It's, like, again, this, like, ramshackle group of people. And it looks like Jana's going to be a really awesome character. And I always love a badass girl with a cloak and a horse. and Yeah, she's leading the way. Goggles. And, yeah, she's clearly quite prominent, which is great. And... Yeah, from my misreading of Kenny Marie Tran's interview, I was hoping that she was part of this as well, but I didn't. I don't think she is really. I uh, yeah, I, I guess it's possible, but I don't see how she'd have to like join up with them in some way. Yeah, and we haven't seen a shot of her there so far. So yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, but yeah, it's a great looking shot. It looks like a really imaginative and different action scene because. Say what you will, I don't think we've ever seen an assault on a Star Destroyer by horses. We did get the Favias in Canto Bight, so it's like the the sequel to that. Yeah, it's like the natural evolution of that moment, <laughs> basically. Um, right, then we get one of the most striking and beautiful shots in the whole trailer. And of course, I'm not biased in favour of Ray and Kyla content at all. Um, and yeah, do you want to describe it, Kirsty? 
Yeah, I mean, it's both of them in the throne room on the Death Star, right? Yes. Um, so light streaming through this cracked window. Ray's got her saber lit. Kylo doesn't seem to have his out. Um, yeah, they're kind of looking at each other amongst the wreckage. Yeah, it's really like gorgeous framing. And yeah, like I think, again, the symbolism is very, very heavy here. And there's all sorts of evocations coming through, essentially. Because I really like that intersection between past and present that you're getting with this moment. Because you have these central young characters from this new trilogy in this location that was so pivotal to the main characters from the original trilogy. And in Mm -hmm. the context of the world of the movies like the characters who are Kylo's, at least his family. You know, it's where his uncle faced down his grandfather and where his grandfather returned to the light, basically. So it's the setting for these seismic character evolutions and these huge, like, tidal shifts. Ah, fitting in with the sea. (laughs) In, like, their stories, basically, in their journeys. So it's a place where turning points occur. So I have no doubt that this whole set piece on the Death Star, which is clearly very elaborate and involved because we've seen so many facets to it already. So there's obviously the throne room bit, which is this part. We've seen Rey navigating the interior of it alone. And then we've seen them actually battling on the surface of the thing. So that's three different parts to it to begin with. But yeah, I feel like this is going to be a really important talky scene. And I think people Mm. have slowed it down and looked closer and you can see Kylo talking, basically. So, And he looks dry. So is this before the duel? Would make sense. I mean, that's if we're speaking practically, which Star Wars doesn't always do. He might have dried himself off with the Force. (laughs) Might get a towel. Harry Potter style. Um, (laughs) But yeah, in terms of like you say, the heavy symbolism through the lighting and framing of the scene. To me, it evoked movies like Crimson Peak and Rebecca, you know, these iconic gothic romances, modern and older, um, that are kind of center around these decaying old haunted houses um, yeah. with echoes of the past that influence the current characters and the present events and how those interplay. Yeah. Um, which is obviously what is going on here however consciously for the characters because Rey came into the story thinking that Luke was a myth and I'm guessing she then thought the same about Darth Vader right Um, but all of that as you say happened it went down in this very place that they are standing Um, are they talking about that or are they talking about their relationship I can't wait to find out but um, yeah it's kind of a sequel shot to the fireside hand touching in The Last Jedi which we've said before felt very Jane Eyre to me yeah Um, and Chris Terrio has said in interviews that I think you talked about this earlier with the, the whole third act that follows what Ryan did. They're trying to find the middle ground here between let the past die and that it might be good to live in the past. Uh, you know, you can take it forward with you. You can learn from it and you don't need to be defined by it. But we need to learn from it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I do also think that you could make the argument that Ray's found that by the end of The Last Jedi in terms of taking her lessons from Ray and from Kylo and Luke. Yeah. Um, but maybe making that more explicit and making that applicable to Kylo as well. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think the idea of like the haunted place 
and how the location can like influence and direct the actions of the characters in the present. I think that's going to be a really important idea and I don't want to talk about that too much because we haven't seen the movie we don't know what they're doing with this scene and this symbology right now so I'd rather talk about it once we actually have the full context for everything but yeah it says to me that there is this very gothic idea of this ruined landscape um this like scarred landscape even and there's all that trauma embodied in that landscape but because it's not quite gothic because a lot of gothic it does end on quite a dour dark note if you will yeah Um, i think what the sequel trilogy is doing well is taking elements like star wars does for lots of different genres right picking up mm. on those visual parallels and like those um relevant storytelling aspects but ultimately wrapping it up in this coming of age fairy tale yeah no exactly because where i was going was like in a typical gothic story where you have this like haunted house and I don't mean that in the corny sense I mean it in a it's a haunted space like affected by all these past traumas etc like full of the house of Usher for example Rebecca with the wife um or Jane Eyre with Bertha yeah and like in something like a Poe story you have the story where the family are doomed they can't escape basically because Mm. they are too pulled down by the history of the house which has infected them like this disease you know Mm -hmm. They are brought down low by their own family history and they cannot escape that. But yeah, because this is a different type of story and it's not that level of darkness, <laughs> yeah, there's going to be the light shining through and there's going to be the way out, I think. Yeah, so it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I think that's the theme we'll be coming back to many times. So. Oh yeah, definitely. And again, we can dig super deep on that once we've seen the movie. Um, okay, then there's a follow-up shot, which is really intriguing. Um, where it's Finn and Jana, and now they are on the exterior of the Death Star too, um, with the waves crashing around them. And yeah, what do you get from this, Kirsty? Well, it's an obvious visual parallel with Finn chasing after Rey after she's abducted by Kylo in The Force Awakens. Yep. Um, so is what he's reacting to going to be a mirror to that as well? Did Rey and Kylo somehow go somewhere? <laughs> is, is there some weird force thing going on? That, like the bond has transported them somewhere else? And he's like, what just happened? Where are they gone? Yeah. Yeah, he's reacting to something in a very dramatic way. So what is it? What happens yeah. at the end of that duel? Exactly. I think something like that's quite likely. And like my ideal version of how this would play out would, like you say, be this like updated version of what happened in the force awakens where it's like ray chasing after kylo or something you know like it's there's definitely not going to be another abduction scene in the sequence because <laughs> no yeah. ray's gonna bridal carry kylo <laughs> yes i would like to see that <laughs> oh my god that'd be amazing the meta alone would be worth it <laughs> um yeah so it's a fascinating like parallel and I'm very excited to see how it's used. And hopefully it gives us a chance to see Ray self-determining and choosing her own way at this point in the story. Mm-hmm. And you've yeah. got to wonder what the hell Jana's thinking. <laughs> she doesn't <laughs> know these people. Yeah, she's probably like, what shit show have I walked into? She's oh like, my god. She's like, is that the Supreme Leader Kylo Ren? <laughs> and was that your friend? 
<laughs> okay, right. Can we have time out? <laughs> Need to talk about this. Oh my god, amazing. Um, right. Then the next shot is one of the more mysterious shots in the entire trailer, and it kind of suggests one thing when you watch it the first time. But then when you watch it slowly and on repeat, frame by frame, as I might have done, um, it can tell you something a bit different. Because, yeah, like the first time you watch this and I've watched like a few trailer reaction stuff, everyone I know who's watched it just like once and like had a quick takeaway, people see this and they see it as Rey and Kylo working to- together to destroy the thing. Yeah, basically. I think they said that on the Star Wars show as well. I think that's how they described it. Okay. Yeah, so then it's a very valid interpretation of what's going on, basically. But I don't think that's what's going on when you Me look neither. at it in slow-mo. Yeah, like, how would you describe what you think is actually happening at this moment, Kirsty? Well, I don't actually know, because it could be Ray destroying the Vader helmet and the plinth, like, in a fit of rage, and Kylo reacting to that, like, oh, when are you doing? That's my most prized possession. Yeah. Um. But I don't know. There's something different. It, like we don't see Kylo with his mask with Ray anymore. Like that's early The Force Awakens stuff. Yeah. So so what's going on here? Like has he been taken by surprise by the fact that they're suddenly together? Towards the end of the shot, it almost looks like he's taking off the helmet. Yeah. He so... does like a weird f- gesture with his arm, basically. And as far as I'm concerned, that's either him reaching to remove the helmet. Or that's him trying to, like, hold the helmet in place through the Force. Yeah, and this looks like the same place uh, where we got that footage of um, him looking down at what I assume was the mask based on um, what Scott would hold us from the shareholders footage. But he wasn't wearing the mask there either. Yeah. There's lots of question marks surrounding this, basically. Yeah. Um, It's a bit strange, but it's very intriguing. And... (laughs) Like, my comedic take on this, which I quite like, is it's like, you have this married couple, and the the husband is taking up the, um, what's the word, the second bedroom to keep all his, like, collectible toys in it. And then the wife, in a fit of rage, is like, right, I've had enough, it's all useless, all this, like, nerd shit is just, like, distracting you, wasting your time, keeping you back, I'm gonna just chuck it out. Well, I, I you kind joke, of like that's Ray's but I do feel like there might be an element of that here where she's like, enough, enough yeah. of you idolizing this. This actually wasn't your grandfather or it was, but it wasn't the whole of him. Yeah. And it wasn't who he was when he died. Yeah. Like enough of idolizing this disgusting charred mask. That's yeah. not who you need to be. Yeah. I'd actually like it if that's what is going on, to be honest. Yeah. That if it's... Like, it could also be about Ray expressing her personal anger. I think that's yeah, valid and that's, worth doing. Yeah, that's valid too. But, yeah, like, I also like the idea of her doing it to send a message to him. Like, she's not, like, actively, like, working to redeem him because that's not her job at this point, you know? All she right, tried yeah. very hard in The Last Jedi. But I think if she if she's just around, if she has the opportunity, just passing by, <laughs> I think absolutely destroy that thing. He needs yeah. that message. It would probably be quite satisfying, to be honest, because it would piss oh, him off so, so much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You wonder how he's going to react if he takes off the helmet. Like, does does that mean he's angry underneath? Is he upset? Like, how is he going to respond? 
what yeah. does this scene mean overall for their dynamic and where does it fit in chronologically I'm still not quite sure of like you know we see them on Pasana we see them on the Death Star we see them here like what is this before and after yeah I'm assuming this is Kylo's personal digs and I just I wanted to say so. that it looks like he's upgraded them seriously since um, The Force Awakens. Well, he is the supreme leader. Yeah, no, exactly. But it's really nice. You know, like he actually has like a staircase. Like, I don't know <laughs> if it's like a multi-level like living arrangement thing. Um, but I, I'm proud he of him. He has a duplex. Yeah. It, it, but can you imagine how depressing it would be if he was still like the supreme leader and he still had, like the box room of the single bed? <laughs> Well, I wondered if he was going to go down that route because he has—he still has the outfit. He has this quite aesthetic, like monk still thing going on, you know. Yeah, he did don the gold robe. <laughs> no, he did not. He's not Snoke. He's not sat like we say on the throne, delegating. Yeah, maybe someone convinced him. Look, you need to have quarters befitting your station. <laughs> yeah, and apparently you can see Chewie's bandolier in the background as well. Yeah, you can. You can't see it in the screen cap I've included in our notes, but it is there. Mm. Which, yeah, I think may tie into the earlier shot that we saw of um, Finn, Poe, and Chewie on the First Order ships. I think he might, Chewie might not have those things there. Okay. Which, yeah. Could what are make they doing in Kylo's rooms? <laughs> Maybe Kylo's nostalgic. Who knows? <laughs> it's like, He's like, I'll take those. Uncle Chewie. <laughs> Although <laughs> <laughs> we might as well just have Chewie himself in his rooms. <laughs> God, so many questions. <laughs> mm, and it looks like there's a lot of stuff kind of on the floor on the right-hand side of the shot. Mm. Something's been destroyed there because it doesn't look like stuff that's come off the helmet. Like there's obviously sparks flying around the helmet as they strike it, but that looks separate. Yeah, and they're kind of there from the beginning. Um. Yeah, it's a very pristine room, so it's notable that there's any mess in there at all. Um, Kylo hasn't got his Lego out. Yeah, I saw someone joke that it had been like rose petals set down for Rey's arrival. <laughs> oh no. Which I quite like in, in a sentimental... No, not really. <laughs> not really bad idea. Um, cool. Then the next shot is Finn and Poe and 3PO. And there's like a light behind Poe. I don't know if 3PO is holding up a torch or something. Um, this reminds me of like that early shot we saw from the pre-celebration oh. reel. Yeah, Ray was, was there too, right? Yeah, Ray, Finn, and Poe, and it looked like they were all looking at something. So mm. I wonder if this is related to that. Yeah, looks like they're underground or something. Yeah, like in a tunnel, maybe. Hmm. So yeah, like I can't work out what's going on there specifically, but it's a cool I'm shot. Gonna, I'm gonna guess if Ray's still with them. They're like on Pasana. I I could see that it sort of looks a bit sandy slash rocky in the background. Yeah, but beyond that, we don't know what they're looking at or anything. So yeah, could be anything. They look mildly concerned. I'll say mm -hmm. that John looks especially attractive in this shot. <laughs> he does look very handsome. Yeah, it's very brooding. <laughs> um, then there's another even more epic shot of the Orbacks slash horses running across the Star Destroyer. And, oh, it's so cool. And I think this proves that it's in space. That's amazing. <laughs> it is amazing, right? <laughs> it's just, it's so ridiculous, but it's wonderful. Oh, you, you were bothered by the bombs falling where there was no gravity? Well, enjoy this. <laughs> yeah, it really is JJ giving those people the finger. It's wonderful. <laughs> it's like, look at all this logic. Look at all this science. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'd like to imagine the evil laugh. Yeah, just a great shot, really beautiful. There's another shot, even more ships, but I don't see any horses in the other shot, so it's not that exciting. I hope they didn't all just like fall off the side. <laughs> <laughs> like, where are they racing towards? Yeah. See, I've just realised that I missed a very key part of voiceover dialogue, um, which is very easy to do when you're just looking at screen caps, so I'm not going to beat myself up too much. But basically, it was around the time that we see the shot of Rain Kylo striking sabers. And it's a line from Palpatine. Long have I waited, and now your coming together is your undoing. Which is a pretty epic line. Yeah, what do you make of that line? That's a pretty loaded line. And again, I think it fits to the overall theme of the trailer, where we see lots of people uniting in various ways and all these relationships. But... Yeah, if you had to pick anyone, who would you say Palpatine is talking about specifically? And, like, no prizes for this, because I think it's pretty clear. But, yeah, you know, never I, know. Yeah, I do think it's clear that he's talking about Rey and Kylo, but what strikes me about the line is mm-hmm. that he could have been saying it to Anakin and Padme. Yes, you know? that's true. Yeah. And I do think that's a conscious parallel, because we know from the prequels that Palpatine was orchestrating so much about Anakin's downfall, um, pushing those characters together, like suggesting that he go to Naboo, like clearly wanting him to form these attachments that would then be possible to manipulate. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's what's being echoed here. Oh yeah, definitely. I think a big aspect of Palpatine's plan in this movie is likely to be him exploiting this bond and that relationship and the feelings that they have for one another. So I'm really excited to see what they do with that because I think in terms of bringing all the trilogies together and especially driving home those links to the prequels, I think that's one of the most powerful ways they could do it by having Palpatine again take advantage of that love that these young people share slash have the potential to share. Yeah, and because of that mirroring, I feel like it's fair to speculate that things have to go differently this time in terms of um, the outcome. You know, the an- the, well, the Anakin figure, as in Ben, um, developing a selfless love rather than a selfish one. Oh yeah, and and yes, of course, that in turn affecting the outcome. So yeah. presumably, some kind of we've talked about it before. You know, we think that he's going to make some kind of sacrifice. Yeah. No, exactly, because that's the perfect inversion of what happened with Anakin and Padme, that Anakin was almost driven to madness by that intense, selfish, possessive love that he had for Padme. And I think you see some of those qualities in how Kylo relates to Rey to some extent. So, yeah, I think if he goes on a journey, it's going to have to be about learning to convert that love into something healthier. Because we've got that very heavy parallel with the proposal in the throne room scene of how Anakin talks to Padme when she gets to Mustafa, right? Yeah. We can make we can make things the way we want them to be, rule the galaxy with me. Um, so things have to evolve from there. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, you also made a good point that there's those like title cards that flash up throughout the trailer with um, like various, like what am I trying to say? Um, like heavily meaning laden messages basically like one is like their story will live forever or something like that is that right i think it's the story not theirs but ah the the story yeah that makes sense which is yeah a pretty um grand ambition let's put it that way (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, like if it if JJ pulls it off, it, it, it's true. That's that will be what happens because, yeah, like Star Wars is our modern myth basically, and pe- even people who haven't seen the movies are familiar with the key developments. And you'll know this movie was a success if in 20 years' time you can go up to a random person on the street and ask them what happened to Kylo Ren. And if they can tell you the answer, then it worked. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's a powerful idea because, you know, this is more than 40 years old at this point. Um, The idea of this saga finally coming to an end, but living on in terms of what it means to people. Yeah, exactly. There's something beautiful in that. Um, okay, cool. So then let's switch back to those final few shots from the trailer. So we have a close-up of Kylo Ren. He's in a dark and forbidden space. And you can actually hear a laugh, a, a very quiet one, but it's definitely there, from Palpatine in the background. And obviously that's just for effect. And that's presumably to convey the message that, yeah, the characters are in deep shit now. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, like his hair is slightly wet, which is intriguing to me. That tells me we're probably looking at a post-Death Star moment. Um, yeah, because wouldn't we also have that still of Kylo in a ship, like piloting, but he looked all muddy and wet as well? Yeah, which could also easily be after the Death Star stuff mm. goes down. So yeah, I'm very curious to see how that fits into the story. Yeah. The the lightning flashing here makes it look like it leads on to the next shot as well. But yeah. Who knows? The power of trailer editing. Yeah. Yeah. And isn't doesn't he kind of like move in the actual trailer itself? He's sort of shown to like be moving with purpose or something. Yeah, he like turns around. Or at least yeah. it looks like that. Like he's yeah, he's making a choice here. Yeah, exactly. So we're obviously looking at it without context, so it's difficult to say too much about what's happening. But yeah, it looks like a, probably a pivotal moment for him. I'd expect mm. he's making some big choices at this point in the movie. <laughs> um, yeah, then the next is a really great shot. And you were talking about how this one actually kind of scared you a bit, weren't you, Kirsty? It does. I know it sounds pathetic. I'm a 30-year-old woman, but Palpatine's kind of scaring me. Yeah, it's Just good. He should scare there. you. Well, <laughs> you should be know, cowering just... in your boots. <laughs> I want Ray and Kylo to be all right, so... <laughs> Palpatine is scary. He's yeah, he's an iconic villain for a reason. So very scheming. Yeah. And it's very much framed to have that effect because you have the one who we shall assume is Palpatine because it's a person in a dark cloak. I've seen some people suggest it could be Dark Ray, which it could be. You know, she's also a person in a dark cloak. I do think it's interesting that we don't actually see Palpatine in this trailer. Oh yeah, I we think have, they, we that haven't was seen very him. deliberate. Yeah, they haven't shown him. We've heard him. We've heard him cackling. We've heard him saying things to them. <laughs> We've seen plotting. shots of the throne. But yeah, they're not showing him, so they're saving it. Yeah, they're keeping us waiting. It'd be interesting to see if he shows up on any of the TV spots, actually. Yeah, still got yeah. those babies to come. I guess at this point we're still supposed to be wondering, like, is he actually back in the flesh? And if so, how the hell did he survive? Yeah, I think that's why they're being so tricksy with it, to be honest, because they want us to ask those sorts of questions. So they're not committing, essentially. It's a bit annoying, but yeah. But yeah, the framing of this is great because it's very like filmmaking by the numbers. 
and that you have the bad scary person looming at the forefront of the frame and then you have the heroic person looking very small little and vulnerable like far below them which mm-hmm. suggests David this, and Goliath yeah power differential all those sorts of things and even Ray's body language like she looks like almost like really small and hunched up even you know and yeah like it makes me scared for her basically especially because she's so alone and this is a point where I don't want her to be alone (laughs) because she needs help so yeah not to say Ray isn't capable Ray's clearly very (laughs) capable but get by with a little help from your friends well (laughs) she's expressing that she's alone and she doesn't seem happy about it so yeah natural for her to want some company (laughs) yeah exactly i wouldn't want to face palpatine alone oh boy um yeah and then we end with that final shot of ray which is so beautiful daisy has the most magnificent expression on her face and i think this is the ultimate encapsulation of what this trailer is all about which is hope Mm -hmm. um which is Ginasso's favorite word (laughs) um (laughs) And yeah, I also love the counterpoint that this makes to the Dark Ray reveal at the end of the trailer for, at the end of the D23 teaser. Because, yeah, you have that like evil side and then this light side, and they make really nice contrasts to each other. Definitely. I was just thinking about the colouring in that previous shot compared to the throne room of The Last Jedi, mm-hmm. where it's like blue and greys. Obviously, still a sinister situation. But I think colour is so important in Star Wars. Um, yeah, and it's contrasted with the the deep red of Snoke's boudoir. Nice. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. This whole trailer actually is very blue, which is like a really interesting artistic choice. So it suggests something more ethereal and ghostly going on, essentially. And mm. yeah, like I like that vibe because I do think you really need to go all in with that mystical aspect of Star Wars in this last one because so much of Star Wars is all about prophecy and destiny and like what does it mean to be the Jedi and what's our ultimate fate and stuff I think you need to get in touch with that and yeah this trailer is leaning very heavily into the aspect of Star Wars I think Mm -hmm. I agree yeah it works really well yeah it's fantastic and yeah, I, and I think it's great to have that close-up of Ray after that shot of her looking so afraid because she's clearly like had, having her own moment of transformation and transition just in that one shot where you see her expression change because whatever's happening to her, I think it's safe to say it's a good thing and she's happy. It's not like yeah. a big beaming smile, but she's clearly moved and touched. That's why I'm well- going from it. I've seen some people theorise. Have you seen the episode of Rebels where Ezra's interacting with Palpatine and Palpatine's kind of showing him like his family? I haven't kind seen of, that, no. He's kind of tempting him to like join with him and then you can have your family back. Um, so he's like displaying some kind of vision. It's like a trick. I've seen some people theorise that Palpatine is showing Rey something like that um, and maybe Dark Rey would be a part of that. Um and then that maybe that's what she's looking at right. i don't personally subscribe to it but i think it's an interesting idea yeah no it is there's all sorts of possibilities and stuff i'm sure people have like enlarged it and like analyzed what's going on in her eyes and everything <laughs> because yeah star wars fans be stars in mm-hmm. 
but yeah I just think it's a really beautiful note to end it on and of, of course you also have the voiceover from Luke and Leia respectively which mm-hmm. is obviously designed to hit that emotional punch Luke saying the force will be with you and then Leia always and yeah I think that's quite beautiful and it's a nice way to give Leia the last word in a very literal way because mm-hmm. yeah there's not much footage of her but I think by having that line at this particular point in the trailer it's selling that idea of Leia is here as the support and she's guiding this girl through her destiny so yeah definitely it's very beautiful um yeah so any closing thoughts we've been speaking about this for quite some time (laughs) yeah I mean I'm sure we'll continue to theorize on it and we'll get more tv spots i mean you remember last time they showed ray using kylo's saber in a tv spot yes. really close to release date it was like whoa do you think you maybe could have saved this for the movie yeah it's <laughs> so who knows what else we're it? gonna see yeah <laughs> yeah like the tr- the tv spots in the also the international trailer it's like the international yeah. trailer for the force awakens revealed all sorts of crazy shit that yeah. revealed the shot of kylo holding his saber to raise neck for yeah example. i think at that point there hadn't been any indication of them even interacting which yeah. is funny in hindsight yeah no it's main dynamic of the sequel trilogy and all that <laughs> um but yeah, we have all sorts of wonders awaiting us and they're all going to hit us like little bombs, basically, because there's no like pre-announcements of those things. They tend to just like emerge out of the ether completely, mm-hmm. like catching us by surprise. But that's probably a good thing because I always sleep badly when I know a big Star Wars thing's coming. So I want to yeah. sleep through the night. I'll guess that um, like the trailer itself, none of that is going to really give us an insight into the actual plot. It's yeah. all just going to be kind of more scene setting exactly. and visuals. But I'm fine with that. Yeah, I'm I'm good with that too. There might be a few like conf- conversation stirrers, but yeah, probably nothing absolutely earth shattering. Um, okay, cool. So I think that's the natural point at which to close out. I'm Rachel. You can find me at Stars Nonsense on Tumblr and at Journal of the Star Wars on WordPress. Where can people find you, Kirsty? I'm Bastila Bay on Tumblr and Scavengers Horde on Twitter. Thank you so much for joining us. Until next time, bye. Bye.